And like a red, white, and blue phoenix rising from the ashes of political bipartisanship, we are back to Salt of the Streets podcast. Today oh. is. Oh, I, I, uh, <laughs> for some reason, I felt like there was more than that. Uh, this is Sunday, December 9th, 1216, episode 43. Did you miss that last time? The last two fucking weeks. Bless you. I forgot that. It's hilarious because yeah. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. So only <laughs> as I'm listening to it or like watching the video and I'm like, God fucking damn it. And Rebecca, okay, you go. And then I. <laughs> so before <laughs> Don rips into Rebecca, welcome back everybody to the Salt the Streets podcast. Your one and only source for social and political commentary on weekly news, pop culture, and sports built from the ground up for people like you and me, the everyday normal person. Join us as we discuss life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness while we drink beer and continue our endless efforts to bridge the gap between people and information. Coming up on this week's show. Oh, as always, we're your hosts. I'm Colin. I'm Donovan. And coming up on this week's show, we're going to talk... About the CIA director Gina Haspel's closed door session with Senate committee leaderships. Hella closed. On the Khashoggi incident. Khashoggi. Uh, which we talked about last week. And then we're going to be taking a longer look back on the life and legacy of George Herbert Walker Bush, 41st president of the United States, who died just before the show last week. Not going to be exactly what you would think, but it's going to be an interesting fucking conversation. It'll be a very interesting, a very salt of the streets level conversation. Yes. And then we'll probably talk about, Don had an excellent blog post this week, and I really want to talk about that. About telling the truth. And then we got, you know, we both got grab bags, and we'll just see where the, the rest of the day takes us. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, there was something I wanted to talk about before we went into the show. Yep. Funniest thing happened to me on the way to, over here today. I went and I was getting gas mm -hmm. right down from my house. And I'm just standing there pumping. I did notice that the gas prices were below $3 a gallon. I was like, what's going on? Okay, whatever. That's cool. I'll take it. Yeah. No questions asked. And this guy pulled up on the opposite side of the pump to me. He starts filling up. And he goes... Wow. We kind of like looks over the, you know, the gas pump thing at me. He's like, wow, they're just giving away gas over here, aren't they? What? I was like, uh, yeah, man, sure. And he's like, yeah, over in Seattle, I mean, it's like 60, 70 cents more expensive. I'm like, yeah, that's, I mean, that sounds about right. Yeah. And he goes, well, just between you and me, I think it's all Trump's fault. And I was like, okay. All right, man. Sure. This guy's just offering uh, all this to you. He's yeah. Just going at it. People do this. I was just like, dude, first of all, this is neither the time nor the place, brother. It's pouring down rain. It's cold outside. I'm getting gas and I'm a total stranger and I don't want to ruin your life by just blowing up your spot. Yeah. But I'm telling you that Trump loves the Saudis and that you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. And I was like, but you're talking about you're complaining about gas prices in Seattle and then trying to blame it on Trump. <laughs> None of that makes sense. That's pretty bad. Whatsoever. Advice. Yeah. Seattle's about the most anti-Trump place in the in the world other than maybe San Francisco. Yeah. But I just thought that was too funny, man. People I I like I said I love when people will do that. Like they're just so willing to I don't know, tell you shit that's none of your business, you know, yeah. just tell you this one time I went to fucking Arby's and then I'm going to get into Rebecca because <laughs> ooh, Rebecca um I'm excited. Went to Arby's and I was trying to order some shit and this woman behind the counter, 
I don't remember why she started telling me about this. Probably for no reason at all. And probably just like the gas station guy starts talking about um, not spending enough time with her boyfriend, and that she wants to spend more time with her boyfriend, and that he has like weird friends that she doesn't like, and then starts telling me about her boyfriend's friends and like the problem that she has with like this one particular friend's girlfriend and like all this stuff. I'm like. <laughs> I don't care about this. Like, not only do I not care, right? This is has nothing to do with me. Why are you telling me about this? I'm at Arby's, man. Give me my change and my cups, and let me get the fuck out of here. Like, (laughs) why? Why is this happening? It's so weird when people do that. So Rebecca, okay, coming at you, coming at you, hot man. Rebecca, coming for you. Tweeted earlier this week that I was frustrated that I had missed saying the number episode. On the last two podcasts. Okay. Right? So Rebecca, in all of her constantly watching social media for anything that anybody says about anything, asked me about it later that day. She's like, so you, you know, why are you so frustrated that you forgot to say the episode? You know, like, mm-hmm. I'm like well, because it's something that I do every time. Like, it's part of, like, my, you know, my yeah. responsibility in the intro. Like, that's part of my thing. She's like, well, but people already know. What episode it is if they're if they're listening to it like they could just read like the title. So I'm like, damn it, Rebecca, listen. that's not the point. That's so why I'm like, that's not the point. I'm like, that that is not the point. Like the point <laughs> is, I don't know if we fuck something up or whatever. It's a double check. Don't ask me because I don't know. That's just part of what I've been doing for fucking forty five <laughs> weeks almost now. I'm gonna continue to do it. Like let, it doesn't matter. Let me be frustrated that I forgot because I'm supposed to be doing it. So well, I mean, apparently in in Rebecca's defense, you've only been doing it for about forty. Three or 41 weeks yeah. now. So. Well, and then I told her she was stupid and she oh. didn't like that very much. And um, she will do this thing where she will close curtains that don't exist in her cubicle. <laughs> she has made the argument before that she should have curtains that she can close on people when she doesn't want to talk to me anymore. And so she'll just like turn around and be like, shh. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, Dude, at the company Christmas party. You. So. You should get her one of those, you know, those little extendo like bath rods for like and ten just, bucks at Walmart and, and a cheap the... little set of cur- like window curtains. I'm like, here you That'd go, ha- Merry Christmas. I'll I'll pitch that to Barbara because Barbara is more apt to do it than I am. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that's funny. so. Anyway, mm. follow us on social medias. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> This new relaxed intro what do they thing call is that? getting Ham-fisted? good. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> um, you can find everything that we do on saltofthestreets.com. Uh, our episodes, everything goes on SoundCloud, but it all comes out on everywhere that you can find a podcast. Um, we have an Instagram for Salt of the Streets. We have a Facebook for Salt of the Streets. YouTube at Salt of the Streets. Like I said, everything is saltofthestreets.com. We have our own personal social medias. I am Salt of the Street on Twitter and Alpaca underscore Donovan on Instagram. And I'm the Big Bird Offies. Or I should probably say it normally. Big Bird Offie on both Instagram (laughs) and Twitter. And uh, False advertisement. And I'm pretty sure that's all the social medias there. Um, The episodes come out, like I said, they come out on Monday. Um, The pre-shows come out on Tuesday. There's a live one that we do before the podcast every week. But they come out on YouTube on Tuesday. The full episodes come out on Wednesday. The blog post come out on Thursday. Said in the pre-show, we're going to start doing an audio version of the blog post also. So we're going to take our written blog post. Colin and I are going to read them, respectively, our own, not each other's. Um, and then we'll probably talk about it for a couple minutes. So it'll be like a five or six minute podcast episode that we're going to put out on Thursdays. 
to accompany the blog post. Word. And it's going to be sweet. And keep it on the same feed so it's easy to find. Yes, yep, it'll just show up right in your right in your podcast app like the other one does every week. You won't have to look for it or anything. We're also going SoundCloud, going everywhere. It'll be sick nasty. So here we are. We're gonna talk about uh, we talked about it in the pre-show. We are gonna go over the CIA briefing that happened. Gina Haspel, she talked to a bunch of Senate leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're gonna talk about that. Yeah, essentially the same over. committee leaders and members from last week's uh committee hearing with, with yeah with mike pompeo secretary of state and secretary of defense jim mattis yes but uh yeah because i think they're going to come back up in this conversation as well pompeo and mattis yeah oh absolutely definitely um and so we're going to talk about that we are going to take a little bit deeper look into bush senior mr hw and we're going to go over some high points and low points in his political career and draw some ties and do a little bit of dot connecting. And all dot that. connecting. Uh, and then we are going <laughs> to do some grab bag stuff. We are going to do a little bit. Uh, oh, we're going to talk about my blog post last week that is about telling the truth. So the rule number eight is tell the truth or at least don't lie. So we're going to talk about that. And then what did I say? Sports? <laughs> Pop culture. That's what, that's what I was looking for. Pop culture. There, there we go. Fuck out here. Sounds good to me. That's it. So the... You want to start with the CIA? Yeah, let's hit it. All right, Miss Haspel. Miss Haspel. She acquiesced to the request of the Senate leadership. And indeed, right? Wow. Because if you listen to the show last week, you will remember that Senate leadership was highly upset that the CIA director herself, Gina Haspel, did not make it to that hearing. Yeah, so it was the Armed Services, Foreign Relations, and and the Appropriations, and then the Intelligence Committees. Okay. And then also some other leaders throughout the Senate. Yeah. It's kind of whoever, whoever's got uh, enough BDE to get in yeah. the door there. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about yeah. when I say BDE. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that later. Let's leave it a mystery for now. I am. I do have... <laughs> Ariana Grande stuck in my head right now. So. Oh, is that an Ariana Grande reference? Um, BDE? What? I, yeah, hey, man, I heard it right. from so a 69-year-old right man. Okay, so we're going to talk about it right now. Let's do so, it. Yeah, that is an Ariana Grande thing because she was dating, what's her name, Pete Davidson. Mm-hmm. Um, and somehow it came out that he had a huge dick. He's got BDE. Uh, he's got a huge dick, yeah. And what she tweeted about big dick energy, that's, that's she tweeted about big dick energy. Okay. And so then that got taken and, and done whatever with it. And, and how long ago was this? Months ago. Months mm. ago. Months and months and months ago. I'm going to have to trace this back. I don't, yeah. Is this, do we think this Connie is the West true origin? Too, and that's what made it really big was he said okay. something about, oh, no, he said dragon energy. That's what, yeah. Dragon yeah. energy. Yeah. I okay. am dragon energy. Yeah. So, yeah, that's an Ariana Grande thing, the big dick energy, because apparently Pete Davidson has a huge hog. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. He's a goofy-looking dude, so I watched, he's got to have something going for him. We watched uh, one of her videos today, Thank You, Next. That's a good song if you haven't listened to it. And it's like all these – it's it's themed for all these different movies, uh, Mean Girls and Bring It On and Legally Blonde and stuff. And you ever seen the movie Mean Girls? No. Okay, so you should watch it because I love the movie Mean Girls. Um, I think we've had this discussion yeah, it's before. Really funny. Um, they have a burn book where they put pictures of people in there and they write terrible things about them. Ooh. 
and there's a picture of Pete Davidson and underneath it says huge and like he's <laughs> got a big dick. So that's where Big Dick Energy came from. BDE. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. So all these all these BDE senators <laughs> yeah. finally got together like they wanted to with Gina Haspel to go over the essentially the the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Yes. Because she apparently is the only senior member of the administration to have actually heard the audio of the killing. Or seen the video. Has she seen the video? I don't know. I think she's seen the Probably. video. Probably. I would assume. If, Even if, if she's heard the audio. I would I would bet one of my nets that she's seen the video. Probably. It's a CIA man. That's how confident I feel. Yeah. And, uh, and so, the, yeah, that was the big thing last week when they had Pompeo and Madison that they all just essentially got briefed. They read, <laughs> seemingly had read most of the brief from the CIA. But again, just, you know, we talked about last week. They just tiptoed around the use of that word. You know, there was no smoking gun. There was no definitive evidence, something like that. Well, and they also just continued to talk about how important the war in Yemen was. Yeah. You know, and how they needed to continue to stay involved in the war in Yemen. And that's that's what they talked about is not about Jamal Khashoggi like they were there for. They continue to talk about the war in Yemen. And it's, it's like, well, I don't want to talk about that. Of this. And it's important we do because of that. So, you know, we need to continue oversight there and all this. Well, I will say, they're there for. in their defense, that hearing was supposed to be on the resolution of the United States pulling military support out of the war in Yemen. But that is directly tied to the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Absolutely. And, yeah. and so they were wrong to tiptoe around that, or I wouldn't even say tiptoe, just blatantly disregard that yeah. and focus on the other side of it. But the two are integrally tied together, and I think to just push it off like they did is just a huge disservice. Yeah. But that's okay, because we finally got Gina Haspel in this week. And, of course, this is a closed-door closed session, excuse me. And so we don't have – we don't really have anything of what was actually said inside there you know just reporting on what the what's been leaked from there and then conversations mm-hmm. that the senators had afterwards because they were like uh heard a lot of sound clips from what am i trying to say lindsey graham um i love the new and, lindsey graham yeah and there was a couple other people that that said yeah. a lot of stuff yes uh lindsey graham bob corker yes bob he's corker. another big big voice dick durbin's been a big voice in the whole thing um but yeah they were all very, very adamantly, you know, pointing their fingers at, you know, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, as effectively being the orchestrator and the controller of the whole situation. Absolutely. Lindsey you know? Graham even said, he said, there isn't a smoking gun, there's a smoking saw, right? Yeah. Which is in reference because um, he was, because he was chopped up. Jamal mm-hmm. Khashoggi was murdered and then cut up with a hacksaw. And that was one of the early reportings was that the luggage for the murder team had a hacksaw in it. And yeah. It was still like I had a bone saw in it and it was still just let through. Um, Man, that would have never happened if they tried to bring that through TSA. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> TSA be all over that shit. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> I got a problem with TSA. Dude, TSA. So knows. many. Yeah. Anyways, that's a. Yeah, but. Uh, so, they, so they. Listen, they had the. Listen. Listen, Listen here. I didn't really mean to say that. I just kind of slipped out. <laughs> it just of happens. I know. That's where I'm at today, I guess. I didn't mean to sound Canadian. I didn't mean to say, "Listen, I know shit's just happening." Um, I really hope I got that Canadian slip up on Mike. <laughs> I think God, I hope it. so. Um, 
So the problem with this, right? One of the problems with this, because there's a lot of problems with this. One of the big problems is that the information, it seems that the information that the senators received in the meeting or the briefing with Gina Haspel vastly differs from the information that was given to them by Mike Pompeo. Because Mike Pompeo, like you said, said there was no smoking gun. There is no, you know, there's no evidence that directly ties them. There's yeah. no whatever, which not only neglected to acknowledge the fact that the CIA had recognized and acknowledged that there is no way it could have happened without Jamal Khashoggi. Mm-hmm. But then Gene Haspel comes in the next week and it's like, listen, there's no doubt about it. Like it's he had to be involved in it. Yeah. You know, and so it shows it underlines a fundamental difference in the perception and the focus between the White House and the intelligence communities, right? And this is something that we've seen numerous times before when oh, it yeah. comes to all the times that we talked about when the president has not backed up the CIA's and its conclusions, you know, any of the intelligence communities, especially like we talked about with Russia, when they all collectively agreed that Russia had, in fact, interfered with the election. The president still says, yeah, no, Putin said that he didn't do it, so I'm just going to keep buying that he didn't do it, Yeah, you know? It continue. It draws another underline under the White House doesn't care about the same shit that the intelligence communities do, which yeah. is a problem. Like, and a and it's problem. like you said it that it's me. You know, I mean, it's not even that they don't back it up. I would I would go farther and say that like in most cases they start to directly contradict it's the like entire intelligence community. You know, I mean, it that type of shit. It 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 goes to show, like I said, that the focus in the White House. Is on money, yes, and it's on power in the Middle East. Not about one of the things I really enjoyed. I think it was Lindsey Graham that said it was that it doesn't show like what America is. You know that we've always had this kind of air about us that we're like that's not even a good way to put it. Like it's always been a point of pride in America that we are we're going to stand up for what's right, and that's why we have our fucking nose in every corner of the world. Is because yes. always under the guide of. We need to be involved in this. You know, let America handle us. Let us show you the way that this should be done because we know what's right. You know, and now that we're faced with an obvious right and wrong, someone being murdered in cold blood, we're going to turn our face away from that. By a fucking crazy. By the state of a foreign country. Yes. And our president is willing to turn his back on that because his business dealings is more important than that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think and by funny. his, you mean like the nation's yes, business yeah, dealings? Yeah, not, not his personal idea. No, but that's the way he sees it, though, because I think that's yes. good. He sees all these trade deals he with Absolutely. the trade war with China, which I can't wait to talk problem. about later. The, you know, the rewriting of NAFTA and putting his own stamp on it with the USMCA. You know, all these different trade agreements. These are, these are his business deals. Absolutely. And there's, there's no difference between those. And what's happening in Saudi Arabia. And I think that's a really good point because we, we've also talked about this before. When he when he takes the uh, the TPP and he rebrands it as the USMCA, right? That's what that was. The tra- NAFTA. The NAFTA, sorry. sorry. Yeah. So he takes TPP, NAFTA. he just took apart right, and then right, decided okay. to do yes. all the cart trade sorry. deals. Sorry. Well, there's so much I, I mix them up. So it's, it is dark because they all. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he took NAFTA and added a little bit of stuff to it, you know, having to do with you you have to have more parts in a car for it to be able to be tariff exempt, you know, uh-huh. from America. I mean, tiny, tiny things, the dairy for Canada. And they're still working on most of it, too. Exactly. It's not even been finalized through, but that's not even the point, right? He takes things that already exist, rebrands them so that they can be his. It can be a Trump thing. You yep. know, we've talked about that so many times before. Because that's what he has yeah. always done. He, he has taken his name and he has sold the name 
to make money off of it. Yep. And that's that's what his whole business has been about. He's a Trump brand towers, marketer. Fucking Trump steaks. Trump oh, fucking everything. You Trump know, I'm steaks. just going to slap my name on it because it'll add $30 to the value and let's do it. You know, his Trump thing, his Trump steak thing was only a massive failure because he didn't market it with Trump ketchup. Because ah. that's the way he eats his steaks. Gross. That's all I'm saying. With ketchup? That's gross. Yeah, man. He puts, yeah, he wants an overdone steak with ketchup on it. That's, that's his classy way to eat a steak. That's disgusting. But it makes sense for somebody like him. Somebody like him. <laughs> But anyways, to go back to this, I think, we, you know, we mentioned earlier how Mike Pompeo and Jim Mattis is going to, they're right back in this situation again, because now that they essentially had, you know, the Senate got the word directly from the horse's mouth in this case, from the CIA director herself. Yes. And they have all come to the conclusion. I mean, Bob Corker even came out and said it in um, his interviews after with the fact and said, you know, if this was a court of law in the United States of America, a jury would take about 30 seconds to turn around and deliver a guilty verdict yeah. that this happened. There's enough evidence there to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he did this. And well, he was integrally involved to the point where if he wasn't involved, it wouldn't have it would not have been able to work and happen. But for some reason the Secretary of State and the Secretary of Defense don't see it that same way. Yeah. And it's, it's the old, if you can't prove him, oh, what is it? No, I guess it's not if you can't prove him innocent. But, um, you know, if there's just an error of a shadow of a doubt, then no, no, no. We got to maintain, you know, strategic relations and all this. Which, again, we've talked about this before. You can still do that and still yeah. hold them accountable for it. It'll complicate things. But, unfortunately, that's the way ethics works. Yeah. Doing the ethical thing isn't always the easiest thing to do, and you have to deal with the consequences thereafter. And I think, what was Mike Pompeo's job before he became Secretary of State? It's the director of the CIA. Boom. How do we have such a direct contradiction now from a former CIA director to the new CIA director? Right. It's, it's insane. The information is the same. Nothing yeah. has been different. I mean, there might be some other changes in, in the staff underneath them, but that's still not going to make enough of a difference for them to have such a vastly different view no. on, you know. And this is going to, it's going to completely, I think, derail Pompeo and Mattis's careers in the future as far as staying in the administration. Well, who is it that just, because I just got an update yesterday that someone is going to step down. He bye-bye. Yeah, the uh, White House Secretary, uh, John Kelly, Kelly. he's out by supposedly by the end of the year or before the first of the year, whatever you want to call that, which doesn't surprise me either, you know, because he he's been mixed up in a lot of stuff lately. And which, you know, again, we we got back to uh, you remember when he was first looking at taking that job. Uh, his wife had told him numerous times, don't do this. Yes. And he's like, well, I have to. I got to go I gotta go in there. I got to try to clean house. And this is what he's going to get for it in the end, man. You can't tie yourself to the Trump train and not deal with the after effects. But, you know, the, the fact that the administration officials, because I don't know, I'm – it's hard for me to say that Gina Haspel as CIA director isn't a an executive branch senior official because 
in black and white, she is. But I think being attached to the CIA, it makes it kind of its own little gray area, would you say? Because she is technically... She is like technically a part, part, technically of the, part of the executive branch. Yeah. Because all these departments are, but... Because they're part of the Department of Justice. Right? Yeah, but it, you know, and it is, and it's an appointed position just like Secretary of State and all this stuff, but it's, there's something that's different about it when you compare it to the other cabinet level positions like uh, Secretary of State and Defense and all that, but... Well, the information that, that the head of the CIA is privy to is, I mean, seems to me like it's it's much different than the information that most other heads of intelligence agencies are privy to. You know what yes, saying? for sure. Not not most of those other places have black sites and have shit like that. You know, yeah. there's a lot of stuff, like I said, think that the, the CIA has that a lot of the other places don't. Yeah. You know? It's definitely its own animal, for sure. Um, but I... But I mean, come January, the idea of it being completely separate either, because it's important, I think, that with that power, you Spider-Man it and it has great responsibility and you Mm -hmm. have to have somebody looking over and like, you know, providing oversight for that. You know, I think that's really important. And that's the whole point of the the director position of the CIA being an appointed position is so that the executive branch can have oversight of that branch directly. Yeah. Unless but, you have an executive that's willing to ignore facts and information that's being presented to them. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, Mike. 43, dog. 43. Boom. It's getting up there. Yeah. But I wanted to bring up the fact that come January, you know, you may find, you know, Pompeo and Mattis might find themselves being, you know, enthralled in in all these different uh, investigations that the – the new Democratic-led Senate, or not Senate, um, House. House, may choose to start, you know, running. You know, we don't know for sure yet, but looking at who's coming in and some of the chips on their shoulders from the last couple of years is, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if it just turns into subpoena central, investigation central. Well, and I have to wonder... All right, so let me let me talk this through with you, right? Mm-hmm. Because Mike Pompeo and Mattis didn't come in until after Trump Dog Millionaire is already in office. Yes. Right? So I got to wonder how much they will be roped into those investigations, you know? Because if if the if they do, right? Then that means that the collusion and the nastiness in the White House right now and in the current administration runs deeper than we think that it does. Because that means that it's currently still happening right now, you know, and it's not something that they did and moved on from. And that's kind of what largely I feel like the narrative has been, is that most of it was in the beginning collusion to get in the office and do all this stuff. You know, now mm-hmm. he's just an asshole doing shitty things in the office. Mm-hmm. And so this, I think, would extend, would broaden the umbrella almost, you know, yeah. as to how terrible the president looks you know, do you understand well, what I'm saying? Does that make yeah. sense? And I think my point more is, is the fact that you're now, you now have a, at least to me anyways, you have the secretary of state and the secretary of defense now, you know, clearly choosing their team, the Trump Absolutely. loyalty team over say the loyalty of the office and the, and the nation. Absolutely. And I think that is going to spell disaster for their careers come January where they're going to be at you know, in the in the hierarchy of who to go after first or whatnot. But, I mean, 
the fact that you sit up there and you can just spin these, you know, all this information and clearly, I mean, it's like watching a, a confirmation for a Supreme Court justice, man. It's get up there and they get asked these questions and they do, they, they say everything around the truth, but never actually get to the truth. Yeah. And it, it drives me nuts. And I think that when it comes to repercussions, I think in January, you know, sometime in the early part of the next year, we may, they may be, you know, dragged down by some of that, some of that spin by being too close and towing that loyalty line to the, to the Trump camp. Definitely. Cause if, if enough, if enough negative stuff starts to come out, they'll be forced to resign or asked to resign because yeah. the, as unstable as the current administration is socially and, uh, in regards to the actual people staffing it, you know, it's so shaky that they can't afford to mm. have some of the few employees that they have looking terrible. Yeah. You know? So the moment that anything starts to come up between Mattis or Pompeo, they'll be like I said, asked to or forced to resign. Oh yeah. You know. So it'll be like I uh, can see that. It'll it'll probably be like Jeff Session Jeff Sessions being essentially asked to resign. Be like, all right, man. Well, you need to leave because yeah. this is over. We're done. And I think that. John Kelly is probably going through the same thing right now. He's probably being forced out for what reason? A hundred percent. I don't exactly know, but I don't know if it's because he hasn't played that loyal, you know, that loyal companion gig as well as maybe Trump wants him to, but uh, you know, nothing really stands out to me as being a, I don't know, a highlight point of something that happened recently or something that would force him out of office. But yeah, I don't know. Either way, it'll be interesting going forth. Um, I did run across this clip of uh, Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky. Kentucky. Kentucky, uh, talking about the closed-door hearings and all this stuff. And he, he, you know, he brought up a really interesting point. He was talking kind of, he brought reference to the deep state in this. And he was talking about the process of you know essentially he and actually a lot of other people including um you know senate minority leader right now chuck schumer Mm -hmm. and dick durbin and bob corker and all these other people that they think that gina haspel should brief the entire senate on all of this khashoggi stuff you know again i'm sure it'll be another closed door but it's they think that the rest of the senators have the right to know about all this stuff if they want to vote. They're looking at the vote for that, uh, you know, pulling out right, support right. in the war in Yemen. And, and I think this should, is a direct causal causal relationship to that. And we should be clear really quick before we move on, because we did talk about that last week. And the vote that the Senate did last week, essentially just kind of a uh, clip notes kind of version, right? Mm-hmm. The vote that they did was not on the actual bill itself. No. The vote was essentially to start the process on discussion of this bill. Yeah. Right? Just so that everyone is clear of what this is, right? There's still a long path for this bill, but this is a really good first step to it actually being there to be able to be debated on the floor. Yeah. There's a word for it. I'm true. It's eluding me right now. But yeah, it's essentially they're getting permission, you know, a vote. It's kind of like voting it out of committee. Onto the floor, yeah. right? They're now 
it's going to go forward to the actual Senate vote now that they voted on the the resolution to do it. And so now they're going to do it eventually. And that's why people are trying to get, you know, they're trying to push for the whole Senate to be briefed on this because it's important information that I agree. I think all elected officials probably deserve to know this. Yes. In a classified capacity so that they can make an informed decision on whether or not that the pros and cons outweigh whatever, you know, the the effects of pulling out of the war in Yemen are going to entail. Do you think that if that happens, if the whole, if the entire Senate is briefed by Gina Haspel, right? Mm -hmm. And then that bill gets passed through the Senate. Do you think the House is then briefed on that information when they? I don't think so at the House House level. I don't think so. Maybe the leaders? Probably committee leaders and and caucuses. Probably. You know, it would probably be like the House Intelligence Committee and the, you know, same kind of thing. It would be the the leaders of those committees because that's a lot of people. Well, and I don't see some of those Republican. Some of those Republican people voting yes on that without having that information, you know, just mm-hmm. just look into the to their homeboys in the Senate and being like, yeah, yeah, all right, you know, I'll, I'll buy what you're saying, you know, not that they don't work together. I'm sure they got homeboys in the Senate, but at a certain point, you're not going to be if you're a senator and I'm and I'm a representative and you're like, listen, I seen the information. I'm telling you, just do it. You know, mm-hmm. I might be like, fuck you. I'm not yeah. going to just do it. Like, I'm not blindly going to yeah, follow. I, I'm going gonna to do this. Like, I. I want to see that shit first. You know, Don, I wish we lived in that world. But I have a feeling there's enough people that will vote along party lines in the House that it, it would pass even if they didn't have the full briefing. They might have a, you know, they might have like a declassified version of something that they could get their eyes on or, you know, I, I would imagine there's got to be some way. A redacted version? Yeah, something. That. You know, instead of being fully classified, maybe it would be un... What's that? What's the next level down from classified? Committee confidential? Yeah, something like that. And just have the committee leadership. And that way the the committee leadership could then, you know, say, hey, no, this shit's real. You know, yeah. don't... This isn't all bullshit. This, you know, it's all pretty simple. But like I said earlier, Rand Paul was making a point that you know, for an elected official like him to be hearing about, you know, essentially to hear the news from the New York Times, the Washington Post, and have that be essentially the only source of information on that issue that they have is problematic for somebody that should be able to make an informed decision. Yes. And if, you know, he said that essentially to him is a, you know, that's a real life version of the so-called deep state. It's the upper leadership getting access to classified intel so that they can make an informed decision. But everyone else is left in the dark to read the news just like us and hear about it That's pretty the way we hear about it. That's pretty interesting because I definitely don't agree. I definitely don't feel like a senator should have the same amount of information that I do about what's going on. Like You should know more about this shit than I should. Like, yeah, I would hope should so. know way more about it than I should. You yeah. Know? You should have more sources than just the fucking New York Times to find out about this information. That's crazy. Yeah. You know? But it's real. It's real and it's a, it's a really good point. That seems absurd. Yeah. And so I don't know what's going to happen going forward. We're going to... I'm sure some news may trickle out slowly this week and we might hear something about what the next moves are. And I don't know when the next... I don't know when the next actual Senate break and stuff is, but 
I know it's got to be coming up soon because of Christmas, Christmas and New yeah. Year's and all that. So I don't know if we'll see it this year. You know, you've seen a lot of people over the last few weeks making all these moves like that. Uh, we had mentioned last week that uh, subpoenas going out for James Comey and Loretta Lynch. Yes. Because that's kind of their last ditch effort to try to get in there and get some more stuff done. Yeah. But, um, oh, there was one more point I want to make about Rand Paul. He talked about, maybe it was Bob Corker or Lindsey Graham, one of those. Either way, um, they were saying that, you know, at the end of the day, if if I don't hear about this intelligence, I may not vote on the, you know, the budget bill that's supposed to be coming up. And I may Shit. just, I may abstain from that. So we may shut the government down over something like this, depending on how many that? people take. It was either Rand Paul, Lindsey Graham, or... Bob Corker. And that's unfortunate because we already have a president who's saying that he's willing to shut the government down if they're not going to put funding for the wall. Mm. And and now we have at least one senator of those three, excuse me, that's willing to threaten to shut the government down. Yeah. And who knows how, like I said, how realistic that threat is and how plausible it is. Just because one guy says it doesn't mean a bill's not going to get passed. But with such a tight margin, at least in the Senate. That one vote could make a difference. Huge difference. Uh-huh. And we've seen that shit with pretty much everything over the last few years. That yeah. that one or two vote difference. You know, how many times do we look at Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins and John McCain as swing votes on, on whether vote. a major piece of legislation passes or not? Yeah. You remember John, John McCain's fucking epic mic throwdown? Boom. Voting no down for the... Is that the repeal and replace? Yeah. Uh, Health care bill? full repeal yeah. of, of the ACA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like, nah. I ain't doing that Boom. shit. And then everybody, oh, the look on people's faces. I just, God, That was such a dramatic moment as far as Senate politics well, goes. Well, that's what they get for. I remember when they passed the budget, that because it was the budget that had in there the repeal of the of the mandate, right? Mm-hmm. And when that happened, an entire group of political people in the Senate chamber started to chant, na 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 hey, hey, goodbye. And I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Like, how old are you? You're like 70 years old, right? You're like 70 years old and this is what you're doing? You're fucking joking me, right? Yeah. Just go home. You're supposed to be Take professional, that man. And go home. Oh, yeah. it was disgusting. Oh, it was disgusting to watch people act like that. That are supposed to be representatives of like the masses in this country. That was yeah. horrible. Well, I don't know. That might be reflective. It, honestly, it if you think about it. Watch. Yeah. No, I was not happy about that. Yeah, I'm not happy with the general degradation of the entire political process over the last. You know, I mean, even you can even look to the Obama years for that. Yeah. But, you know, it's really interesting because I don't know if there's really much more to say on that other than we're going to kind of see what happens going forth because that Senate, the actual Senate vote will eventually happen. And, you know, from there it'll get kicked to the House and then I'm sure the changes will be be made and then it'll be kicked back to the Senate and then probably put in front of Trump to sign. But I think that there's one last thing that I wanted to hit right? Lay it on me, baby. Um, I noticed that there was a lot of people, a lot of pieces, right, that talked about Jamal Khashoggi's death, refocusing, renewing focus in Yemen, 
right? Mm-hmm. And I think this is kind of a point that you tried to make to me like a couple weeks ago that I didn't really take the right way. That I, I, after you know whatever this moment I had this earlier this week, that I find it simultaneously unfortunate, um, and also good, right? That one person's death renewed the interest in the death of tens of thousands of people. Because yes. that's what we're talking about, right? It's, I think in Yemen, hundreds of thousands. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It, it's yeah. the worst humanitarian crisis in the world. Yep. And one person's death, they're saying, you know, it, it brought back focus to Yemen. Yeah. Why is this not a big enough deal beforehand? You know, and I think that's kind of a point that you were trying to make to me when you were talking about some other humanitarian crisis. I think it was in Turkey or some shit like it's that. It's the old Stalin and, line. I think it was it's Stalin or Lenin, but I think it was Stalin and said, one death is a tragedy, a million is a statistic. Yes. Yeah. And this that's the power that one death can have. And I I thought that that was very interesting. You know, like I said, it, it renewed my thought in the point that I, I was pretty sure you tried to make to me a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I just thought that was so interesting, mm-hmm. you know. But, I mean, listening to – because I think this directly – we can kind of directly segue into the President Bush stuff, but – when you look at the America's involvement in the broader scope of the Middle East in general, right? Yes. You know, our involvement there over a period of time, we're not going to argue whether it's right or wrong because I think it doesn't really matter at this point because it's a problem we just have to deal with now because we – mistakes were made on in the past on all different levels – and for whatever reason, we are in the situation we are now. Yeah. We cannot go back and fix these things. This is where we're at. It is. We just have to deal with it and try to figure it out from here. And I think, you know, I don't know if the U.S. pulling support from the war in Yemen will affect really any major change into that situation. Yeah. Um, because I believe that mostly our involvement has been on the funding of um, weapons and troops and, you know, training of troops and all this from Saudi Arabia, giving them weapons and training on those weapons to use in the war. I think that's most of our involvement there. I don't think we have much in the way of boots on the ground in Yemen. No. CIA stuff, when special it comes ops. boots on the ground, what we have is military advisors there that, like you said, are doing the training, but they are also there with the people who are doing the airstrikes and yeah. conducting the airstrikes and kind of helping them pick targets or do whatever. You know, is what they're doing, at least advising on yeah. targets because they're not allowed to help pick. And so they're then allowed to advise on targets. So we'll essentially be pulling out there and letting them to their own devices at this point. Yes. Which I think when you look at how they generally wage war themselves, just looking at what they've done so far in Yemen, it's not really going to get any better. If anything, it's I think it's going to get worse. But, you know, it is what it is at this point. Yeah. So I do have, I have one, oh, hold the fuck up. What's happening? Oh. Who's playing, what, what game are you watching? We're watching Red this Zone. Kansas City, pretty sure that's, oh shit, it's not Spencer Ware. Who the fuck was that? God damn it. <laughs> so, anyway, can, uh, Damien Williams. Anyway, sorry. So the last thing that I have um, on oh, Shoji, right, is that on Tuesday after this briefing happened with mm-hmm. Gina Hassel, right, the White House announced that it planned to send General Mattis and Mike Pompeo to brief the House and not Gina Haspel. 
which I think is a horrible fucking mistake. It's, considering it's the same mistake they about. just made. Yeah, the, and I, I almost guarantee that they're gonna if they do that, Gina Haspel will have to come a week later. I guarantee you know, you. the same thing will happen because they're gonna be like, "This is worthless. We're not getting any information. We need we need the CIA to tell us what they know." Yeah, and I think that's a very legitimate grievance. Like we said, you know, our if our elected officials are are going to make any form of an actual informed decision uh you know on a piece of legislation whether to vote for it or not then they need to actually be informed enough to make an informed decision yes otherwise what are we doing here just playing party party politics <laughs> that sounds like a great <laughs> idea when the party? yeah just going to play party i don't like it play softball yeah. whose team are you on so uh i think that's all i got for that you want to move on to yeah. president bush president George Herbert Walker Bush. Cool. So there's one thing that I want to say before, like, to preface this, right? Mm-hmm. Is that this last week, since since we talked about this, there's obviously been a lot of reporting on, on President Bush. All week a long. A lot of reporting. So I've heard all kinds of stories, all kinds of whatevers, right? Some good, some bad, some really bad. We're going to talk about all these things today, right? Yep. One thing that kind of struck me in this week, especially as I was listening to Jeremy Scahill today on the Intercepted podcast, right? Got me he's heated. talking about, oh, well, you know, we don't need to recognize the good things about him because that's what the history books are for. And that's what politicians are for. We need to talk about the terrible shit that he did. We yeah. need to talk about all the bad stuff that he did because that's what really matters. And that's how we should remember him, right? And the time for... You know, the time for this is, is not now. You know, it's whatever. And, and I think that that's bullshit, right? I, my problem is the guy's corpse is not even fucking buried, mm-hmm. you know? Give a little bit of time of respect because that's what I feel like everybody deserves, right? Yeah. So on that point, Jeremy Scahill compares President Bush to all of these numerous people that have been taken senselessly by police violence, right? And yeah, The media he did. took them and slandered them right upon their death. And and why should the president not be held to the same standard? You know, which I did think was interesting that that they're 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 the same, right? Not not those situations, but the president is the same as anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, he shouldn't be treated any better on the whole than any other person, right? But I don't think that I think that point is laid out incorrectly in the way that that's not to say that we should shit on President Trump. It's to say that we shouldn't shit on the people that are being murdered by police senselessly in the streets. I think that's the point that we should take from that. Yeah. Not that, well, if this is how we're going to treat them, then we should shit on, you know, President Bush, too. Because I think I said Trump just a minute ago, but but <laughs> it's, you know, that's that's not the point I think should be taken from that. It's yeah. that you should respect everybody in their time of death. And at that time, everyone deserves to be respected. You know, there's always time to talk about the mistakes that somebody made. Mm-hmm. But at that time, they're dead. You know, let's honor them a little bit put them in the ground and then we can talk about everything yeah you know and that's why i feel like at this time it's appropriate for us to talk about all of these things mm-hmm. you know well but the day after when he's still lying in state when you can still go and see his body i don't think that's really the time to be fucking slandering him in the media no you know but i will say that knowing jeremy scahill the oh, way we know him Totally made sense. And just but. the intercept in general and what they put forth. I mean, they have labeled the entire Bush family as war criminals for 
years. Long time. For years and years and years. When John McCain died, they called him a war criminal too. They have had chips on their shoulders for a long time. And I think the problem is their arguments are totally disingenuous. Yes. They're not wrong because all the information they lay out is factually true. But in proper context, given the time, the place, what the government was back then, how it operated back then, it was no, it could have been any other Republican who was in the chair at the time. Yeah. Right. Would it be getting make the it same. Right, but it no. makes it easier to understand. Yeah. If you look at it in proper context, it's much easier to understand. And it was no – and, the, you know, this is going back to the 80s and the early 90s with – 2018 glasses on and looking at it back then of course everything we did back in the 60s 70s 80s even the 90s compared to the way we we perceive things now looking back then you know there's a reason why in 2018 and 2017 confederate statues were a massive issue and in the 90s they weren't right there's reasons for that you know it's because the society has progressed, whether we like that or not. I mean, it's a it's an inevitability that will happen. And you can't look back on the past through revisionist history glasses like that. Yeah. I mean, for Jeremy Scahill, you know, I give him the benefit of the doubt because he was on the ground during like the first Gulf War. He and, was. Yeah. You know, he saw the the massive you know, humanitarian problems that were occurring. And I mean, it, and like I said, not wrong about that. Well, it made Very it true. Like, it made it sound like he, the dots he's connecting now, he was connecting back then also. You know, it makes yeah. it sound like he's understood all of this, this whole time. So I think it maybe made it a little bit easier for me to understand why he carries, why he bears that cross so heavy, you know? Oh yeah, it's I totally because, understand it. Because he's felt that way the whole time. That at yeah. the time that we're saying, you know, of course when we look on it now, we can see it, whatever. But mm-hmm. he's been seeing it this way the whole time. Yeah. So I think that that's. And if you look at and if you listen to his podcast with that context in mind, it's good. You understand it. And it's like, yeah, no, that's good. That's all good quality material. But if you come at it, you know, if you don't understand that about them or how they work and it's it's the same thing. It's no different than when I read an article or watch a segment on Fox News or CNN, you know, which way they're spinning it so that you can unwind it back a little bit to get yeah. to the truth a little and bit. This is you know? the same way that, like I said, it's yeah. really intense to listen to, but if you can put your head in the right spot, it's yeah. great. You know, it's, it's good information. Yeah. Every time I put on an intercepted podcast, I know <laughs> what I'm going to get. Yeah. And, but the good stuff, there is good stuff in there. It's much just, better than. It's almost like, you listen uh, over the narration. And I got to say, Harrison Butker just missed a fucking field goal to win the game. And so Kansas City and Baltimore are tied up at the end of the game. It's about to go into fucking OT. Oh, baby. I also have to say that I'm playing Lacey in the playoffs this week, babe. So check this. I picked up Spencer Ware because she had Kareem Hunt and he went the fuck down. And I got his backup. She got the backup's backup. Fucking whatever Williams, who's been vulturing on the touchdowns, didn't play his ass this week. Oh. He's on her bench with 17 points. Oh. That could have helped you beat me this week. I got this shit. I got this shit. <laughs> You're feeling good about your chances. I got this. I got this. Okay. Um, what the fuck was I saying? So you were talking about essentially getting some information yes, from the okay. So Intercepted Podcast is better than Pod Save America. Right? 1,000%. Because Pod Save America is like 
three times as much propaganda as the intercepted is. Like intercepted is just good information, like good Glenn Greenwald fucking hardcore truth journalism, you know? Yeah. Just with that guy's vision in it. With the hardcore but, Hardcore lefty. But Pod Save yeah. America is just fucking. It's ninety percent propaganda. Bullshit. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I you try to, to fact it. check one of their episodes. It's oh bad. my god! I listen to it once a week. Um, I force myself. Pod Save America. At least one episode of Pod Save America a week because I, I try. Think it's important to hear what they're taking from the situation, you know, yep. and what's being told to people who are on not the far left because they're not Antifa, you know, but they're. They're definitely super deeply progressive people. Yeah. Is who their audience is. The problem with the left now is that there's so many different categories of the left now. There's so many different areas. Like if you're looking at it on that that pendulum swing, right? You know, you have like your your center left people. Like well, I can't even say Dave Rubin any, anymore, but somebody like uh call Dave Rubin center left? Probably. Yeah. But he wouldn't you think he wrong? wouldn't say that himself because he calls himself a classical liberal. I yes. Mean, that's, and classical liberalism sits, I would say, fairly in the middle of the left. Yeah. But I think his – and this is a different conversation. But I think his economic views on the free market are much more hardcore libertarian, sometimes virgin on ANCAP stuff that kind of – I don't know. Socially, he's kind of left, but he's extremely libertarian when it comes to economics and fiscal policy. Yeah. And so I don't know where that actually puts him, but yeah, generally center left, we'll say. Yeah. So there's, you know, there you have your general center left people, which usually we can have conversation center, with. I yeah. Left, left of center, center, I feel like is a like a that's way, a good one. Easier way to. to and then, then you kind of have the the socialist light people that are like Nancy Pelosi that are kind of just doing it for to reach out to that that base that's a little farther left. So they're trying to play a little farther left, but they're still kind of classic lefty Democrat liberal. And then you have that, you know, the next stage of like the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's. Bernie Sanders. Yeah. And they're, I mean, they're outright socialists. And then even farther to the left from that. Democratic socialists, let's give them their credit. Let's do that. Um, Because, yeah, because democracy and socialism work so well together. I told you we could talk about that all day. I could, yeah. I could defend democratic socialism. I know you could to a pretty. I think I could do a pretty all right job of it too. And I could, I could probably do the same thing with libertarianism. But the problem is, we have no, <laughs> we have no, you know, we have no field studies. It, it hasn't worked out well for True. anybody in either direction. But then, like I said, even farther to the left of that, you have your your activist Antifa type and your hardcore leftist anarchists almost. Yeah. Um, whereas on the right right now, you kind of have – you have your far-right extremists, you know, neo-Nazi type, you know, people. And then you have kind of your, your trashy right conspiracy theorists, Alex Jones types, and the, the popularity of that base has, has grown – you have a look of astonishment on your face right now. I, my stomach is going to like fall out of my butt. The fucking Dolphins just beat the Patriots to knock them out of a fucking playoff glitch. I can't Whoa. even believe that that just fucking happened to me. I'm oh, telling you, man. I couldn't even say anything for a second. That is fucking insane. With no fucking seconds left on the clock, they run into goddamn touchdown. That is absurd. I That's cannot history. believe that just happened. Oh yeah, screw the Patriots. Screw Tom oh Brady. God. 
Oh, my God. So the Pats aren't going to the playoffs anymore? And they did not clinch it. I believe that this still keeps them in the hunt. Okay. But they did not clinch it today with this win. The Dolphins Oh, look hunt. at that. I think that the Dolphins just clinched a playoff berth. I think that's what just happens. That's that schoolyard. That's that schoolyard shit, and they oh, fucking man. got it there. And look at that. And they got it there. Look at that. Yeah, throw that ball, baby. No seconds left. You got some serious... Oh, man. The playoffs, and I think the Pats have to go into a wild card now. <sighs> that was fucking crazy. That makes me so happy. Oh, my happy. God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what an amazing day this is. Do you know that also in this same game, I'm going to talk about this in sports, Tom Brady overpassed Peyton Manning for the most fucking passing touchdowns ever. Ever, ever, ever. Today? Yes. So this game. Today, in this same game... This was going to be, I think, the tenth time in a row that they had clinched the playoffs. I hate, I, I absolutely hate that Tom Brady's record backs up his cockiness a hundred thousand percent. I hate every second of it, but the statistics don't lie. I can't believe that just happened. I love that though. Is he all butthurt? Oh, that's red zone. He's gone. I cannot believe that that just happened. I can't. I would love to see the look on his face because when he gets angry. I'm going to watch his post game tomorrow. There you go. That's what I'm going to do because that's going to be crazy. Mm-mm-mm. Man, I'm so happy we got to record that. <laughs> Barbara listens to the podcast. And when we recorded during the Seahawks game, she told me that she really liked listening to the stuff that I had to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's great because you get a little running commentary if you miss the game. Yeah. So we were talking about George Bush. So do you want to? Yeah. Do you have? It looks like you have a little timeline there. Okay. So I wanted to do this because it's really interesting. Because yes. you you talked about getting a lot of information from your Intercept podcast, right? Um, yeah, and I because you can yeah because you can weed through the you know the narrative that they they kind of lay over top of everything probably more than anyone shit. else. Like I, I yes, a lot of good shit written down, but because probably that's what a lot of people heard this week, you know? Yeah. Because I think it's a big deal. Like, he, he helped pass the American with Disabilities Act. I think mm-hmm. that's a huge, huge, huge piece of legislation, right, that yep. my mom would kick me in the dick if I didn't talk about. Ooh. Um, I think that it's a big deal. A motherly dick kick. He was... <laughs> Ouch. I think it's a big deal. Kathy that was, would, too. She That he you. was involved in China. I think it's yep. a big deal that he was involved in... U.S. envoy to China. In Germany. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I, th- I think all those things are huge, monumental deals, you know? Absolutely. I think that it's a big deal that... However, it happened. The Gulf, the first Gulf War, ended quickly. You know, mm-hmm. whether whoever you want to credit that to, what was it, it like a hundred hours or something some, like that? Yeah, super short amount of time. So whoever you want to credit that with, it happened while he was president. So I yep. think that it's good that the first Gulf War ended quickly, even if his son came in and carried on the second one. Uh, yeah, the first one was over quickly. You know, I think that's good. I think there's a lot of good shit that he did. Oh yeah, you know? for sure. There's also a lot of sketchy shit. In proper context. That, yes. Then I'm going to read um, part of this Intercept article to you. And so and before you do that, I was just yeah, going to yeah, say no, no, that this. I meant because in this segment. you pulled a lot of that stuff from the Intercept, right? And I pulled a lot of the stuff from uh, the New York Times Daily. Perfect. And it was so interesting to listen to the stark, stark differences between the overall feel of the New York Times podcast and the overall feel of the Intercept podcast. Intercept, highly aggressive, highly pointed at essentially peeing on the grave of this guy that just died. New York Times, the complete opposite. Yes. Probably, which I would imagine if George Bush was in the office now doing these same things now, they would be just peeing all all over his grave as well. But due to the nature of time passing, so on and so forth, I don't know what the deal is. Maybe they're just doing it because, like you said, 
body's barely cold. He's not even in the ground. I think it's, it's not the time, be, not the place. It's just, uh, just a general respect thing. Yeah. Know, I think is kind of what the deal is. So you want to take the lead on this and start her off? On the stuff that I have? Sure. Um, yes. So let's see. So there was a couple of things that I found because there was also an article from um, let's see. Sorry. There was definitely no shortage of articles and news no, clips the, and podcasts this week about him. One in particular that I have here. That is about um, problems with him during the AIDS crisis. I'm just trying to find. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of people that credit him. It's from the New Yorker. Okay. Um, and I'm pretty sure it's an opinion piece, but it's still, <laughs> you know, um, for, it's a piece from somebody who lived through the AIDS crisis at that time, right? There's a lot of people who put at least partial blame, if not full blame, on H.W. Bush for so many people dying during the AIDS crisis. That he just didn't take it as seriously as he should have, didn't allocate enough money to it. And I think yep. that could be said not only for him, but for a lot of the general public in America, that people didn't take it as seriously as they should have. You know? Yeah. Oh, for sure. A lot of people were concerned. It was just happening to gay dudes. Being gay still freaked a lot of people out. It didn't matter to them. You know, fuck the fags and all. You know, whatever people were going to say at that time, it didn't matter to them. Yeah. You know? So, and not that that makes it right, you know, but I think that that is... I think that would reign true for a lot of people during the 90s. You know, oh, definitely. They looked at being gay way differently than they do now. Yes. You know? um, Again, looking back at the past <clears throat> in 2018 colored glasses. Yes. It, so that is something um, that obviously that people will carry with them about George Bush, especially people in the gay community, people who are affected by AIDS. You yeah. Know, if you lived through that, through that time. 90s, yeah. Yeah. There was one particular protest that they talked about where – Mostly partners or friends of people um, who had died because of AIDS, right? They took their ashes and they marched to the Capitol and dumped them on the lawns of the White House. Oh, that's a good protest. Yeah. And I thought that was fucking crazy. Yeah, that's um, yeah. The, the symbolism there is pretty uh, heavy. Yes. Um, and so that was one of the things. Then another thing is, so I'm going to get into the Intercept stuff. Let's do right? it. So the Intercept is reporting on stories... Well, from the Rolling Stone and from other places that connect a lot of things, but the Rolling Stone stories in particular connect President H.W. Bush and the Iran Contras, right? Yep. Because as we know, he was the vice president to Ronald Reagan, who got in a lot of shit for the Contras. Oh, right? yeah. Um, and so... It's a lovely little Family Guy episode about that. Yes. They do a nice little brief about it, and it's actually pretty factual. It's so pretty I'm good. I'm going to read... A couple of paragraphs from this Intercept article. American Dad, sorry. Fact check that. Um, that's all right. Uh, <laughs> that is going to kind of outline the stuff that we're going to talk about. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and read this to everybody. So this is from an Intercept article. Uh, George H.W. Bush, Iran Contra, blah, blah, blah. I will tweet it out and we can talk about it. Right? So here's the article. Bush's spy history is murky. According to Russ Baker, author of Family of Secrets, a history of the Bush family in the late 1950s, uh, Bush allegedly, oh, sorry, Secrets, History of the Bush Family. In the late 1950s, Bush allegedly allowed the CIA to use an offshore oil rig he owned near Cuba as a staging ground for anti-Castro Cubans to raid their homeland. In 1967, Bush visited Vietnam as a freshman member of Congress, and Baker claims that Bush was accompanied by his business partner, a CIA agent, to investigate the Phoenix program, the CIA torture and assassination operation that killed more than 20,000 Vietnamese by 1971. 
Uh, yeah. Have you heard of the Phoenix operation before? Yeah. Essentially, it was the CIA's attempt to because they were going after the Viet Cong and the communists, and yep. they were essentially trying to they were using the same tactics the Vietnam the Viet Cong used. They were you know kidnapping, torturing interrogating, torturing, assassinating. Same kind of game. Yep. They were trying to yeah mimic their same game to try to make you know it was like uh, they wanted to fight fire with fire type yep. of thing. So in this first paragraph, uh, they talked about Bush allegedly allowing the CIA to use an offshore oil rig he owned near Cuba, right? Yep. This was reported before President Bush got involved in the government. Um, he owned an oil company, yep. right? And so How he ended up in Texas. Yeah, and they had Texas, or they had oil rigs all over the place, right? And so this was one that I believe they said they moved over near Cuba, right? And once it was there, allegedly... The CIA would give, not would give, gave President, soon to be President Bush, a list of people that he should hire, right? Yes. And the CIA then took those people, trained them on the oil rig, and then used it almost as a base for them to go to Cuba and to use anti-Castro, I mean, to, to take out anti-Castro action and try and overturn the government there. Yes. Because right? so this was during Castro's rise to power. Exactly. He was taken over. And so this is how... Allegedly, how he first got connected with the CIA mm-hmm. is allowing them to use soil. Because right? this is all towards the end, time wise, towards the end of the Cold War. It's the late fifties. Yes, and so this is, you know, I mean, well, late fifties. So essentially, this is still peak Cold War time. Yes. Tensions are high. Anything communist is bad. Exactly, it's bad, 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 bad. So, next paragraph. These pieces come together when Bush served as CIA director from January 1976 to January 1977. During his tenure, he met his future national security advisor, Donald Gregg, who was involved in operations linked to the Phoenix program as a former CIA station chief in Saigon. There, Gregg fought alongside Cuban exile and CIA agent Felix Rodriguez, who helped track down and kill Cuban revolutionary Che Guevara. Bush was at the CIA during the height of Operation Condor, an international kidnap, torture, murder apparatus run by six Latin American dictatorships and coordinated by Washington. In an Operation Condor plot carried out in October 1976, Chilean secret police assassinated former Chilean diplomat Orlando Letelier and American Ronnie Moffat with a car bomb in Washington, D.C. Bush misled an FBI investigation about Chile's responsibility. Also, as spy chief, Bush met his Panamanian counterpart, Manuel Noriega, allegedly already suspected at the time of drug trafficking. As president, Bush ordered the invasion of Panama in 1989 to remove Noriega from power, who was the country's ruler by that point. Yep. As vice president, vice president to Ronald Reagan, Bush became an architect of the secret government that came into, that came into being for the Iran-Contra operations. Official investigations for Iran-Contra are limited to the period before, the period, sorry, the period after October 1984, when Congress banned military and intelligence services from providing, from providing direct or indirect support to the Contras. That is super important. 1984. Yes. Okay. That's an important year. But Gary Webb's expose on CIA and Contra links to cocaine smuggling, the Dark Alliance, dates to 1981 the covert U.S. support for the Contras. Cobbled together from remnants of Nicaragua's defeated National Guard, the Contras were notorious for torture, assassination, and other atrocities. The Phoenix-Condor link 
reached Central America as the CIA recruited veterans of Argentina's dirty war to train the Contras who ignited a decade-long war that killed an estimated 50,000 Nicaraguans. I think this would be a good time to say my next <laughs> my blog post this week I'm going to do a little write up on uh, the Iran Contra controversy because that's that needs context and if you don't know anything about yes. that that's a little bit but yes. we'll yeah so watch yes. for my blog post next week yes because this is the part that that's just on the way to what this yeah. is kind of what my <laughs> big point was right Rolling Stone dates Bush involvement in the Contra War to 1982 right. When yep. he reportedly conspired with CIA Chief William Casey in an operation they codenamed Black Eagle. Working under Bush, Donald Gregg managed finances and operations for the Contras, according to Rolling Stone. Rodriguez handled arms flights to Central America and negotiated with military commanders there. Historian Douglas Valentine has claimed that in 1981, Bush authorized these veterans of the defense <laughs> program to initiate a pink plan terror war against Central American insurgents. Black Eagle marked its operations by relying on the Israeli Mossad to acquire and ship weapons to Central America, employing Panamanian airfields and companies as fronts, according to the Rolling Stone story. But the planes, once emptied of their, of their arms cargo in Central America, were repurposed by Noriega and the Mandolin Cartel to ship drugs back to the United States. Yep. The CIA allegedly stuck a deal with the Mandolin Cartel's primary contract contact, Barry Seal. In return for Seal hauling weapons to the Contras, the CIA protected him as his operation smuggled an estimated $3 billion to $5 billion in drugs to the United States. And I forget how he's tied into it, but for or future vice president, Dick Cheney, I believe, was involved in this situation Somehow. at some point. Yes. I don't remember exactly how. Yeah. But that was one of the things I was getting really excited for about uh, – uh, Vice coming up, talking to, you know, having Cheney and stuff in there. Motherfucker, you know what happened? You know what the fuck happened to me this week? What happened? Okay, so we were going to go and see that fucking movie for my birthday, right? Yes. Shit doesn't come out until Christmas Day. <sighs> Somebody's peeing you on your chair. You know how fucking mad I was? Oh my God. So pissed. What are you going to have to see now? I don't fucking know. My mom said, well, we could get drunk and go see The Grinch. So <laughs> 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 like, we might do that. <laughs> It was pretty funny. <laughs> so my big point, my big point for this, right, is that if this reporting is legitimate, which I have no reason to believe that it is not, this says that President Bush would have gone down just like Reagan if they would have expanded the investigation back even just four years. Yeah. If they would have gone back to 1980, not only would the government look way fucking guiltier than it is, but so would way more people in the government who had involvement, not just Ronald Reagan. Yeah. And I think that this time period, starting with the Reagan era, as you know, because uh, George Bush was the VP for Reagan. Yes, he was. I think this is essentially the start of that modern day, which is, I'm glad to say, I don't think exists in as much power as it used to back then. But this is like the modern day neocon Republican formation, how they run the government and how you know, that, that shady, I mean, you, you were essentially funding part of the government with CIA drug runs at yes. this point. And there, there's actually been a, a ton of books and even, I think that latest Tom Cruise movie, oh, what was that called? I don't remember. But I think that's what it was about. They were smuggling weapons into Panama and then smuggling drugs back out. Ah. Yeah. 
And I think it was a completely separate kind of deal because the CIA, if they can make money doing some kind of shady it. stuff, that's the way they used to do it. I don't think it works that way anymore. Yeah. Because I don't think you could get away with it anymore. But that was at a time in history where you could pretty easily get away with stuff like that. Yeah. You know, none of that stuff would be possible in 2018. Thank goodness. And I think that's probably why a lot of it has kind of gone to the wayside, I would imagine. But, I, you know, it all kind of, like I said, if you look at it in context with, you know, this wasn't just President George Bush doing this. This was the entire government at the time. You know, you had... Lieutenant Colonel, I believe at the time, Oliver North being involved a high, at a high level, you know, for, so you have military presence there, you have the CIA involvement. Oh, here, let me read this to you. The White House also leaned on Gulf state monarchies to cop up more than $40 million for the Contras, violating the 1984 congressional ban known as the Boland Amendment. In 1985, Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North <laughs> coordinated with Israel to ship more than 2,000 anti-tank missiles to Iran, through Israel in exchange for Iran's assistance in freeing American hostages held in the region, and the profits were used to fund the Contras. Hence Is why that what you're talking about? Yep. That's it. <laughs> that's so weird. Hence why they call it Iran Contra. The the big issue that happened. And essentially everybody kind of got off scot free. Oliver North went on to have a a journalist spot at Fox News, which was interesting. <laughs> and yeah, that's isn't that funny? Um, that's just like uh what's his name james clapper that now you know he perjured himself yeah uh, about all the information that's being like the metadata and uh -huh. now he works like he's a he like works for msnbc or something oh yeah like well like, what was that uh uh not i want to say spicer but no contributor um the new york politician that got caught up and hit in that prostitute ring Elliot Spitzer? Yeah. Elliot Spitzer. Yeah. He used to weird. be a commentator on CNN. Super weird. Yeah. Not anymore, baby. Not anymore. Yeah, he got in trouble for... <sighs> no, that's the Anthony Weiner thing. Politicians, man. They've become, some, they've become so scummy. Yeah. And I don't know if they've become scummy or it just all of a sudden we were able to see it due to technology. You know? And then we're like, whoa, 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 we don't like any of this. Y'all need to start, you know, y'all need to start getting in the, uh, you know, get with the program real quick. But so I, on the other hand, because I did listen to that Intercept podcast this morning, but the daily, if you want a nice, warm, fuzzy podcast about all the good things from George Bush, you can yeah. listen to that one. Um, and, you know, they focus, they hit up kind of gave a broad overview of his whole life and how he got into politics and you know it's a very strange thing when you look at a president with literally one of if not the highest public approval rating in presidential history yeah to only serve one term that is a very interesting situation right so i did find out that apparently you know i had always just I was always had the assumption that the Bush family was a Texas native family. Turns out, no, not at all. Oh, sorry, I keep hitting the button. Um, but there we go. That little, those little, <laughs> the little OCD things are coming out. But uh, Prescott Bush was his father. Yes. And ooh, I want you to talk about Prescott Bush in a minute because the with the ties to the to the Nazis to the Nazis. 
Um, but anyways, he was uh, born in a New England family, very affluent life. And then once uh, the the Empire of Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, he was 17 when that happened. And as soon as he turned 18, he joined the Navy. At the time, uh, he's pilot ever. Yeah, youngest pilot in naval history at that time. He was only tw- he was eighteen, yeah. and then uh, yeah, flew combat missions. Apparently, he forego he for or he went without yeah to forego a scholarship to Yale so that he can join the war. Um, and then later on, went back to Yale and and joined the you know the Skull and Bone Society and all that good stuff. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he was shot down when he was twenty years old over. Uh, he was doing a bombing run. Um, their plane was shot down, and they just magically, miraculously, when they went down, they were in the area where a U.S. sub was, and sub was able to come and rescue him. Um, so lucky. Yeah. Married his high school sweetheart, Barbara Bush, after after the war, after he came back. And then they uh, picked up the family and drove to Texas to start his oil company and make his millions. And, yeah. You know, and then you just talked about how that unfolded over time. Uh, I did think it was funny. They they did look back at when they first moved to Texas. They lived in Odessa, and they lived in a duplex with a shared bathroom next door to an apparent. And I didn't even try to bother to look into this, but the New York Times reported through their podcast they lived next to a mother daughter prostitute team. Yeah, and I just thought that was the most hilarious thing in the world when you look at somebody with such a an affluent pedigree. Um. But he was, you know, it didn't take long. Soon he was a millionaire and so on and so forth and started to look at public office. Um, and then he ran for, was the first thing he ran for a, a house the seat? Representative. Yeah. Representative, senator, president. Uh, yep. No, then he was the dude well, to China. Yeah. He was an ambassador to the UN and then yep. the dude to China and then the president. Yes. And then the vice president and then the president. Jesus Christ. Yeah. 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 It's been a long. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then somewhere there was a year where he was CIA director. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And yeah, it was. And it's really funny oh, because no. he he became rep. He was a representative for Texas, I think, in uh, the district of Houston, where whatever district that is. Yeah. Um, but uh, eventually, yeah, he ran for Senate and then apparently lost the yeah. first time. And. Richard Nixon, who was president at the time, I guess kind of felt bad for him and gave him a, you know, started to give him appointed positions to get him into the federal government anyways. And then later on would become a senator. And then, like you said, U.S. diplomat to or U.S. ambassador to the U.N., U.S. envoy to China, you know, CIA director for a year. And then ultimately becoming – after he lost the primary to Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan asked him to be his running mate, the number two spot in the VP. Yeah. Very strange. But that, again, I mean, that was a completely different party at the time. It was, things were very different back then. The age of the neocon Republican was, was in uh, full swing for sure. <laughs> And thank God, it, yeah, it doesn't happen that much anymore. Yeah. Because Lindsey Graham used to be a pretty hardcore neocon. And mm. now I don't think it's so much, but I don't know. But yeah, I thought it was really interesting. He uh, he was the VP for Reagan for the eight years and then turned around and apparently was the first president since, oh, I wrote it down, Martin Van Buren to 
who was the eighth president of the United States, but he was the first vice president to go on and become president after that. And that was back in 1837, Martin Van Buren. Went, wow. Yeah. He used to be, uh, oh, I don't remember who he was vice president to. Uh, like James Tyler, right? Something like that. The seventh shit? president. Yeah. But yeah, he actually ended up becoming the eighth president of the United States. And then it was all the way up till you know, George Herbert Walker Bush to become the second VP to become president. Wow. Very strange. But yeah, it was, you know, he, when you look at his four year tenure, um, a single term president having as much involvement in the foreign policy realm as probably any president until that time, um, that wasn't in an active open national war, like, um, like World War One, World War Two, Vietnam War, stuff like that. Um, you know, this was the he oversaw the end of the Cold War and the fall of the the USSR, the Soviet Union. Yes, and and helped reconstruction after that. Yes, he aided with that greatly. And from what I understand, he wasn't credited quite enough, or isn't often credited quite enough with that. Yeah, because, because it's Reagan not such a yeah because he's president at the time. The fall of an empire usually Vietnam, does not happen all. peacefully. Yes. Without, you know, a war generally. And right. when you look at big picture now, because there was, there was a lot of people that died and all that stuff. But in the picture, oh, yeah. in the grand scale of watching the Iron Curtain fall and the collapse of the Soviet Union, it was literally an empire that fell and was reborn due to help from the right. U.S. and other, other nations like that to become the now Russian Federation. Yeah. Which... Usually would have ended, you know, I don't see how that would have ended in revolution up until this point. Because up until this point in time, every empire essentially crumbled from within due to revolution. Yeah. It happens, you know. But, you know, he gets a lot of credit for that. I think Ronald Reagan probably has a lot of credit for that. And like I said, at at one point, he had a a high, one of the highest approval ratings of 89% at one point. But then still, he got really, really torn up during the next presidential election by uh, a little-known man by the name of, oh, I want to use his real name, but Bill Clinton. Yeah. Um, you don't remember his full name? Oh, I don't remember off the top of my head. I remember it's just it's totally weird. weird. Yeah. Um, totally different. Uh, but anyways. It's not William. No, it's definitely not William. <laughs> but uh, it was really interesting. To, to kind of hear about a politician that I've never really looked into before that much. Yeah. And to realize about, you know, just in the general, like, historical knowledge that I've had, how tied in he was to all of that. How integral his role was into forming the world in the way it is now. Yeah. You know, everything from the Gulf War to the invasion of Panama and, you know, I meant, like you said, Manuel Noriega, the Cubans. Well, I have one more thing, too. Um, was we talked a little bit about the first Gulf War. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, then only last, like you said, 100 hours or some stupid shit like that. Really not very long at all. Uh, but in the ramp up to the first Gulf War, mm-hmm. right? Um, there was uh, all kinds of crazy stories that came out about uh, you know terrorists going into hospitals and ripping babies out of incubators and yeah. murdering people in there and doing all this stuff. Right. So after those things come out, it comes out that American PR firms 
were hired to create those stories. I heard right? that. So those stories aren't even yeah. real. So American PR firms are hired by the government to make up these stories, right? And at the same time, there's a the Kuwaiti ambassador, his daughter, yeah, pretends to be a nurse and goes and testifies somewhere that she saw babies ripped out of incubators. Yeah, you couldn't do that in today's world. You know what I'm saying? Couldn't do that. You couldn't get away with something like that. But yep. back then, you could. And, and even now, you know, if the first thing that I'm going to say about the Gulf War is that I'm going to credit him for it being as short as it was. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's so wild. That's so fucking wild yeah. that the government hired public relations firms to make up stories that makes the Gulf War more palatable to the general public so they can go and they can... I mean, not that it shouldn't be done because you can't be gassing the fucking courage, you know, but yeah. shit. Like, <laughs> shit. That's kind of just the old... Just uh, lie about it? Just straight yeah. make up stories. I mean, did you know? did his son not essentially do the same thing with the WMDs? Yep, absolutely. You know? And... Whether I mean you can argue whether the the ends justifies the means in that point, but you know that's a tough conversation. I think have, at I? the end of the day, hardly any of this actually matters, and it speaks to a. I mean, it matters, of course, but it speaks to a much larger systemic issue, which is the fact that Congress doesn't declare war anymore, and it <clears throat> hasn't for decades. The able to do it under the. Uh Authorization for use of military force. Indeed. That AUMF, that's a fucking Eckler touchdown, bitch. Which. God damn it, yes. When you think about it, it's absolutely hilarious when you think that. That that uh, requirement to for the president to do things um, under the eyes of national security, including the authorization of military force. And dealing with immigration. And dealing with. Trade deals, it literally, I mean, you're handing, again, the executive branch all the power that Congress is supposed to have. Yeah. Why do we keep doing this? And like I said, like, I don't, like, all those, you know, you can you could say that they're bad things easily. But all these things that, all these negative things that are, t- are tied to Bush and, you know, essentially tied to Reagan, tied to Nixon, tied to... Bill Clinton tied to George W. Bush. I mean, this is all stuff that happened for a very, very long time. Yeah. And for whatever reason, the Congress has never put their foot down and tried to reclaim their power back from the executive. I mean, you could probably argue that half of the wars that America has been in have been under false pretenses. Mm -hmm. You know? I mean, because there's some shit, obviously, like Revolutionary War, you know, I mean... That's also probably too long ago for us to decide whether or not there was some sus shit that went on underneath it, you know, mm-hmm. for like that America was like, also, if we do this, you know, yeah. we can do this that I don't, you know, but it's a revolutionary war, something we had to get down on civil war, totally unnecessary, some shit we did between ourselves, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? World War One, some shit we got involved with. World War II, some shit we got involved with. You had to do, you know, coming in bombing Pearl Harbor, doing shit like that. Yep. Vietnam, no fucking reason to be there. Nope. You know what I'm saying? Both of the Gulf Wars, nope. Hardly nope. any fucking reason to be there besides oil. You know what I'm saying? Oil. So, now, and that um, was the big thing. It was all about oil back then. Every, Korean War. Everything. I mean, the whole Iran-Contra thing. The, the invasion of Kuwait was because Saddam Hussein thought that they were drilling, you know, diagonal wells diagonal into drilling. their. Yeah. yeah. And it's all about fucking oil, man. 
insane. Because they're because they're lighting oil wells on fire. Yeah, and they're just burning oil. And was like, that? No, uh, no, no, you can't do that. You're fucking burning gold over here. Was that? Is that Jarhead the movie? Yeah. Is that the, about the first Gulf War or the second? First. First. Yeah. That is. Let me tell you. So for a long time, that's a crazy I got, movie. I got Jarhead up there, the book, because that's one of my favorite books I've ever read. When I was in high school, I probably well read that thing 12, 13 times back to back. Ooh. Just over and over and over and over. I love that fucking book. It's so goddamn good. It's anything. It is, is it better than the movie? Uh, oh, by far, hundred percent. Yeah, no, there's a lot. I mean, the, and the movie is great. The movie Jarhead is fantastic. It's also one of my favorite movies. Um, but the book is is much better than the movie. Is that your boy too? Who's the Jake Gyllenhaal? Yeah, That's Jake Gyllenhaal. That is my boy. That's one of the things that made me really love Jake Gyllenhaal was how well he did in that movie. Yeah, uh, but yeah, no, he's a good a, one. That's a fantastic movie. And a fantastic book. If you haven't read it, you should, and you can borrow my copy because it's fucking gold. I like it. Yeah, I'm gonna have to try that. Um, what was I gonna say? Oh, I don't remember. That's mostly everything I had on Bush. I mean, there's a lot of there's so much conversation to be had around everything that happened there. Uh, do you feel like you can vamp again? This is gonna have to be a, a pee break podcast. Oh, yeah, I don't know why can, it just hit me like no, a freight no, no, train. That's fine. Well, we can, we can Bush and we can start talking about the next one was the blog post for this week. Yeah. Okay? So I can talk a little bit about the blog post that we did this week and we can, we can get into it. So uh, like we said earlier, every Thursday, Colin and I do a blog post uh, and we switch back and forth, uh, you know, weeks. And so this last week was my turn and I have been doing a series on a book by Dr. Jordan B. Peterson, right? And that book is called 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos. It is this book right here. You guys probably can't see that very well, but that's what this book is. Um, <clears throat> we've talked about this book a lot. Colin and I went and saw Dr. Peterson earlier this year in Seattle and listened to a lecture of his. That was really fantastic. We talked about it afterwards. Um, it was awesome. And so... The rule for this week, because I've been doing this for, let's see, so that's got to be 16 weeks, 18 weeks since I did one for Thanksgiving. It wasn't one of these rules. Excuse me. And so rule, uh, this one was rule number eight. Uh, and rule number eight is tell the truth or at least don't lie. Um, and so these have become much more personal than they started. They started as almost like. Like newsy articles in a way. Yeah, and almost as just like a, a brief description of the chapter itself. You yeah. Know? Um, and it's kind of turned more into how I implement that rule into my life and, and kind of what I took from that chapter, you know. Which and, I'm a fan of. Yeah, and um, and I, I think I get a little bit more out of it when I do that. Uh-huh. Um, and so in this one, I talked about truth kind of in a couple of different ways. Yeah. Um, and one is about just being honest in general, you know, just being honest with people around you because it's better to live your life that way. You don't have to keep up with any bullshit stories that you've made up. You don't have to worry about anything. It's not whatever. It's just better to just be honest. Mm -hmm. you know? um, lies begets more lies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I talked a little bit about um, self-deception, uh, which I said in here, I think sometimes it's kind of some of the worst lies that you can tell uh, I, yeah. yourself. Definitely um, agree with that. Yeah, it limits you in a lot of ways. Um, and one of the things that he talked about in particular was lying in the sense that you convince yourself that what you have is better than what you could have. You yes. Know? And in that way, you limit where you can go in your life you mm -hmm. know? because there's no point in you trying to do anything better after that. Yeah, I'm comfortable. That, I'm good. Yeah, I thought that that was really, really interesting. 
Um, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that people are getting something out of this, you know, that it's not just a thing that I'm doing for myself that like a lot of different people will talk to me about it. And they're like, you know, I really dug this one. And like, it made me think of this, you know? Yeah. And especially like the Thanksgiving one, because I saw so many different people that day. I had so many people that read it just while they're sitting down cooking or doing what the fuck ever in the morning, you know? And they're like, Oh man, it made me think of you know, this time when I was at work, when I saw something and I was like, you know, I don't need to put up with that. You know, like I deserve better than that. And I yeah. decided to stand up for myself and be honest and do something about it, you know? And I, I don't know. I appreciate that that's, that that's what it's doing for people. Yeah. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. I mean, you listen, he was on Rogan what, a week or two ago mm-hmm. and that's, it seems like every that was a good episode. Every public forum he takes now, he always prefaces the the power of what he's getting from you know meeting these people that come to his shows and stuff like that, and the stories they tell, and how him speaking and him writing the book and all these things have like like people have dramatically improved their lives in some ways. Yeah, and to be able to have. You know, hundreds of people every other day come to you and tell you like all these different things. That's on a whole nother level that I don't think many humans get to experience. Right. Period. Ever in the history of humanity. I would love for us to be there one day. Yeah. And yeah, maybe one day, baby. But I really there was so many different points that you talked about in your blog, right? From yeah. you know talking about growing up and essentially being in an environment where you know lying stealing cheating just became normal everyday practice to get through your life yeah and to have the ability to identify that at some point and be able to move on and better yourself away from that kind of stuff is is half the battle if not more yeah because you know in an in an addiction situation, they always say that uh, admitting you have a problem is the is the first step, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't know if that's directly to the twelve step program, but um, I think it applies to a lot of you know just life type of things. Right. And to have the ability to identify that, and then and then the ability to actually make a conscious decision not to go forth that way anymore is a huge challenge, I would imagine. Um, you know, would you say that through that time period that you lost friends? Um, definitely. Um, that there was, I wrote another blog post earlier this year, and I don't remember what it was specifically about, but I wrote about two friends that I used to have that I called fucking Thomas and... And Sheila Hillary or something okay. like that. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't, I'm not friends with them anymore, but at the time they were like my best friends, you know, mm-hmm. my best friends when I was doing all that shit when I was in high school, when I um, was first getting into like doing other drugs besides smoking weed, you know, when I first started selling weed was, was with these guys. And, um, you know, the first times I did ecstasy was with them and like mushrooms and all kinds of stuff, all this other stuff that I was exposed to, you know, was, mm-hmm. was with these people. And um, at a, there a certain point I realized that uh, much more Thomas than Hillary. So Hillary was almost more of a bystander on it. Uh, mm-hmm. That 
that just wasn't, I wasn't being treated well by that person, mm-hmm. you know? And it was blinded by the fact that, well, we were like doing dirty shit together and we were fucking stealing together. And, you know, like this, this guy has my back because this is the one that we're like doing this shit with, you know? But then it comes to a point where I got a sack of weed and he's got a pack of cigarettes, you know? And he's like, well, trade me a bowl of weed and I'll give you fucking, you know, four cigarettes or whatever. And like, Work. Sounds like a plan, you know? And then he's got weed, and I got a pack of cigarettes. I'm like, well, I'll give you four cigarettes if you give me a butt. And he's like, well, you give me six cigarettes and I'll give you a butt. And you're like, well, that seems really weird. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You know? But, you know, then it starts to come down to a point where they're like, well, you know, the, the shit that we're bringing to the group means more because you're stealing yours, and we're having to get money from somewhere to buy it. Mm. You know? And I'm like, well, I don't really know how that makes any sense. You know, that no. it doesn't matter how, how we're acquiring what we're getting. Like, we're, we're both getting shit and bringing it to the group to share. So, I don't know why that, you know. It's got so, some direct analogies to Red Dead. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so, stuff like that starts to happen, you know. And that's how I kind of fall out with, like, those friends and just move on to other shit. Yeah. Um, and. There was a point where you talk about uh, picking your battles, right? Yeah. And this, I think this talks about... Uh, this talks to the idea of not lying to yourself a lot. Yeah. And then, you know, just because somebody says some stupid shit at work or something like that, that doesn't mean you should stop everything and put this person on the spot and tell them why they're wrong and all this shit. Right. You know, you have to pick your battles, right? It's not always worth it. You know what no, I'm saying? Like, it's definitely honest, not. Being honest is always, always the right move. Always. You know, but it's not always worth it to be honest. You know, it, it causes me less problems now, but for a while, increasing problems in my life with just being honest and it maybe wasn't the exact right time. Yeah. You know, it just isn't, there is a time and place and a tone for complete honesty. Yes. You know, and like I said, sometimes it's just not worth it. And I think the example you came up with is really good. If you hear someone saying some stupid shit around you, like a lot of times it's worth it to just be like, hey, you know, actually this and this and this. Mm-hmm. You know? But if you know that that person is a fucking prick and they're not going to take the information well and it's not going to do you any good, it's not necessarily worth it for you to go out of your way to do that. You no. know, but it's worth it for you to come home and be like, listen, you know, this happened today and I heard it and they like really frustrated me. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's something else I've written down before and haven't talked about that. I feel like what's the best way to put this without me sounding like a douche (laughs) when you are more aware of what's going on, you know, like, like I would like to venture to say that we are, you know, for doing a podcast like this and and being able to connect dots like this, a lot of people aren't, you know, when you, when you have that ability, it, it's not always beneficial, you know, because a lot of that, a lot of that comes with, uh, extreme frustration for things that you see around you every you know? single day. Um, and yeah, I really want to find this because I had written it down in like a really good type of way. So uh, while you're looking for it, I let me it. just touch. Oh, you got it. Yo, go ahead. Okay. I wanted to say, cause I did have a thought when you're talking about picking your battles, because I think this is, a, it's a, something I'm very passionate about. So when you're talking about, the, you know, ideological battlefield or whatever you want to call it, the culture war, the marketplace of ideas, something like that, where somebody's spouting off like that guy at the gas pump this morning. Yes. Right. <laughs> that was not the time and a place to actually have a battle. Right? right. And so I categorize them into two different categories. 
there are battles of strategic importance that, I mean, these are things that must be fought at the time or in the future at some point. Yeah. And then there's kind of the battles of solely ideological importance. It's, it's, a, it's a martyrdom situation. It's a fruitless conquest. You know, you may be able to, you know, I may have been able to, you know, if I was prepared enough to just throw out a bunch of facts and shove them in this guy's face and get in my car, drop Mike, walk away. But that did nobody any good. Right. You know, it might have gave me a little own the libs type of fucking feeling like the Ben Shapiro feeling, but it's not really going to do any good. That's not a battle worth fighting. Yeah. And that's... I think, at least when you talk about picking your battle, that's the way I think about them. Yeah. You know, it's it's not always worth, you know, when Dum Dum at work starts shooting off his mouth about something that realistically he has no concept of what he's talking about. Yeah. And you just want to shut him down because you have all the context. We've done all the research. We know why he's wrong. But at the end of the day, who cares? If you don't pay attention to him, he'll shut up and then we can all move on with our lives. Well, and that can almost even boil down to – not boil down to. That can even break down almost to um, – that's not the right word either because that means like the same <laughs> thing. But translate to maybe uh, like talking to your spouse or like one of your family members, you know, when they're going off about something. And you feel like maybe they're not quite correct, you know, that, well, maybe you could have done this instead of doing this. You know, that's maybe not the time to be totally honest. You yeah. Know? Not because they don't need to hear that. But at that time, they're just trying to vent. They're just trying to get information out and feel better. You know, yep. that's maybe not necessarily the time to be honest. You that's know? the struggle I have, like, with Carolina sometimes is, and I think just women in general, the difference between men and women is, you know, when my wife comes home. And wants to kind of vent about her day. Yeah. I have to make a conscious effort not to try to fix those things. Yes. As the conversation goes on. Because they're they don't need to be fixed. They don't yeah. they're they're kind of meaningless in the grand scheme of things. And me as somewhat of you know, someone who wants to fix things and you know, it's hard to pull back like that sometimes. Exactly but but those things, like I said, they're not strategically important. No. They're not worth fighting. And at the end of the day, in proper context, all your wife's really looking to do is just to vent and de-stress and stuff like that. The stuff that we would do on probably a daily basis, I would imagine. Yeah. And the last thing I want to do when I'm venting is have somebody stop me all the time and try to be like, okay, well, in the future, this should happen. Well, blah, blah, this should this? happen. It's yeah. like, nope, that is not productive conversation. Yeah. That is a battle not worth fighting. Because it's not really a battle. It's an imaginary battle. Right, right. So the little note that I had written down here, um, in this I called it being informed, right? So when I write you down on my phone, something has happened that has made me feel some type of way. And yes. that when so this is this is great, right? Because this was written down in a time where I made the decision that it was a battle of ideolog- ideological importance and not of strategic importance. Mm-hmm. You know? Whatever I heard that made me feel this way, correcting it is not going to change anything. All it's going to do is cause me more frustration because it's going to cause a problem between me and this person that I tried to correct, right? Yes. So so take that with a grain of salt while I'm – take this with a grain of salt while I'm reading it, that I did write this down while I was probably frustrated about something. So Carry on. One side effect of being informed is being angry about most things. Yes. Being informed won't rid the anger, but it will at least provide understanding. Choosing to not be informed sets you in a motion of forever being uninformed and spreading misinformation. 
I can't stand for people to say things that aren't true simply because they choose not to find out if they're correct. I can't stand, I can't understand being okay just not knowing something and saying things that aren't true, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's one of the things that gets me a lot is hearing people say something that isn't true, you know, and you have to decide and weigh whether or not it's worth it to be like, well, actually, this yeah. is really the the reality of this, you know, because some things for that person, it's a battle of ideological importance, you know, and while you may think that it's strategic, it's not going to be the same thing for them, you nope. know. You're going to just try and provide information that's going to challenge an ideology of theirs, something that they hold could challenge an ideology of theirs, something they hold very true, that it's just going to cause a whole fucking whirlwind of shit that you don't need in your yep. life. You know, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to possibly jeopardize your relationship with that person over just a fact, you know, yes. over something that – and that's where a lot of people, especially with this last election, I think – Separated with separated from their families, they voted for Trump when they didn't. You mm-hmm. know that they weren't able to separate whatever is inside of them that that led them that way, that led you the other way. You know yeah. that that doesn't matter. Like at the end, you guys are still family. You know, so then this ideological difference between you, like, is does that does that matter enough for you to not talk at all? No, nope. it's not worth it. At the end of the day, it's not worth it. No, because you know? if. You operate on that level, you have essentially a brewing civil war. Yeah. And that's not healthy for anybody. And, ideolo- and ideology is not a truth. It's it's meaning. It's pretty, yeah. You know, it's ideology is not is not a truth. That's just, it's an ideal. It's, it's, a, right it's like there a in the personal it's, truth. It's, yeah, it's an ideal. It's something that you hold for yourself, yep. you know. So to try and battle someone on their ideology does not make any sense. That's like trying to sell, trying to, try to tell a devout Christian that God doesn't exist, you know? It doesn't make any sense. It's not going to work. It doesn't doesn't matter. Unless you're coming at it from an even intellectual playing field where you know that you're in a debate of ideas and that both sides are willing to give ground at, you know, factual evidence that should be persuasive one, one way or the other. If you have evidence to back it up, you have to be able to change your mind. And I think that's the difference in, say, like the members of the IDW and, you know, kind of just the more, I don't know how you want to, aggressive activist type commentators and stuff like that. That, you know, like the uh, the old Cenk Uger of, or Cenk Uger, whatever his name is, of yeah. the, God, what the hell is their fucking thing? Uh, the Young Turks. Young Turks, yeah. You know, he's been lambasted by Ben Shapiro in a number of debates. And it doesn't matter to him because he solely plays on the ideological side of things. Yeah. You know, he will never change his mind because he is not somebody that's willing to change his mind about things that he already made his decision on. And that's, you know, Ben Shapiro will get up there and do it because it's part of Politicon and that's just the the docket for the day. But at the end of the day, that that battle is meaningless to him. That's not a worthwhile battle. He's going to do it because he likes to debate and it's part of Politico, Politicon and whatever. He'll do it. But, right. um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's not an, a debate that's meaningful. It's just entertainment <laughs> at that point for political nerds like us. Um, but there was another point that you had made in there that I thought was really interesting. And this was talking about, and you had alluded to it earlier about kind of being comfortable in a job, Mm. but 
kind of lying to yourself that this is where I'm okay with being for the rest of my life. Yeah. Because this is better than I've ever done. You know, I got a steady job for the first time. I'm treated well. I'm paid okay. You know, I'm taken care of. I don't hate everyone I work with. I like the trade that I'm in. I have a valuable skill. I'm helping people. I mean, you check all of these boxes. Um, and a part, I think it's important to note that the reason why this struck me is because this is exactly why I left. Yeah. Because, and I don't know if this is a personal, a personality issue that I have. But I have had a problem since I left the military of not being satisfied with wherever I land. Yeah. With no matter how good or bad the job is, I'm always looking to the other side of the fence and seeing the grass is greener and going, I can, I should be over there. I could be over there. Life will be better over there. You know, and there's all, I mean, it's not just a, you know, it's not just an ideologic argument i mean it's usually if i do that there's good logical reasons to to shift right but like you said you talked about if you were in a point where and i think you were alluding to the podcast yeah if we were able to ever make a full-blown living off of this Mm -hmm. you would have to make that hard decision to leave your day job right and you think about your employers and the time they've spent training you, mm-hmm. the money they've paid you and invested in you to make you an asset that now, you know, an asset to the company and, and probably personally knowing them. I mean, these these guys care deeply about each and every one of their employees. Yeah. And that can make things really hard for somebody to to move on. Yeah. And well, especially, especially at this job where kind of like when we talked to Dave a couple weeks ago that it's such, such a particular skill, mm-hmm. you know? That it doesn't really mean anything anywhere else that I go. Yeah. You know, like having having been here for X amount of time and, you know, having, I mean, not even any type of supervisor experience or anything because we're all pretty much the same level, you know. Yeah. But having enough time doing the same thing and being like an engineer type of person, you know, doing small hands type of stuff, like whatever. I mean, that works. But if I tell them why, I fucking cut neoprene really good with this little wheel thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like that. You're never going to do that ever again. So. Yeah. Um, and that's something I think about, I don't think that's unique to you. And I wouldn't classify it for myself in the way that I'm thinking about the grass is always greener, you know, but when I got this job, I was, I was 20 years old, Yep. you know, and so I was presented with an opportunity that's like totally legitimate that if I want to, I can work here for the rest of my life or the rest of the life of this company, you know, mm-hmm. whichever comes first. And that would be totally fine. Like like, that would be absolutely acceptable, you know, but it's really hard as a 23 year old and as a 20 year old and as a whatever to think about having one job for the next 45 fucking years. It's the classic American standard. That's like, I'm like, well, that's cool because that's that it's job security, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's what people are looking for. I don't have to worry about my job. I know it's going to be here. I know I'm going to be able to do whatever, but do I want to do the same thing? Am I going to want to do the same thing in 30 years? Yeah. Like, am I going to hold the same values in 30 years that I do now? Probably not. Probably not. I don't hold the same values now that I did five years ago, you know, or 10 years ago. So there's no reason for me to think that I would now or that I would then. So, like I said, it has nothing to do with 
my employers themselves, you know, because I love this job. I fucking love this job. It's awesome. You know, especially yeah. the homeboy's not going to be there. It's an even better job. <laughs> it's like the best job I could ask for. Um, but I, when I come across something, you know, I, ha- I have to keep myself open enough that something like the podcast can come along. Yeah. You know, because if I kept myself closed, I'm like, no, they invested in me, so I'm investing in them. This is it forever. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't even, we wouldn't be doing this right now. You mm-hmm. know, I would be okay with, excuse me, with hanging out with you and drinking beers and smoking weed and talking. You yep. know, but I don't want to record it because it's not going to do whatever. I, you know, I, I want to do that because I got my job here. Yeah. I'm set up over here. If there's know? no ends to justify the means. Right. And it's not, it's not because, like I said, I don't think that I am set up here, but I feel fucking great doing this. Yeah. This is awesome. You it's know, the high point of my week every week. If I could do this every fucking day, you know, it, it, it's the way I think about this is. Is when I'm talking to somebody face to face, you know, when you and I are talking to each other mm-hmm. and maybe I'm talking to you about something that you haven't, you don't really know that much about, you know, and I may well talk for a couple minutes and connect fucking 10 dots for you, you know, that you're like, oh my God, I can't <sighs> believe that corruption like this is happening in my government and I didn't fucking know about it. Well, I can know? totally believe that like now. The look on, on people's face when, when those dots are connected for them, you know. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like, that's it for me. You know now. You know, that, that's all I can think is you know now. Now you know. You understand why I was so irate about this. You understand that why for five minutes while I've been telling you about this, I've been using my hands and fucking screaming and doing shit. You know, it's because this is crazy. It's crazy that this is happening and you didn't know about it. Yeah. You know? And it's like, not And it's not even because I think on its surface level, people can think it's it's almost... Oh, how do I put this? Shallow in a way. Like you're just trying to prove that you're right. But that's not the case at all. That's exactly. It's about you, not about me. It's I'm happy that I could do that for you. Yes. It's not about me having the information. It's about you not having it and you should have it. And you You said that in your blog post. That's kind of what drove us to do this. It's because if we didn't care about actually helping people connect those dots and bridge that gap between yeah. information and people like you said we'd probably be sitting at a bar right now doing this yes and just me and you sitting at the bar and that would be it and our conversation would be dead but i think both of both of us recognize that in today's world it behooves us to have a decent conversation on a level that certain people can digest that yeah you know especially like in the idw world you know, when Eric Weinstein and Dave Rubin sit down and have a conversation or we'll even bump it up a notch, Eric Weinstein and Ben Shapiro have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Most people, I would imagine, that might listen to this podcast are not going to be interested in listening to that conversation. Yeah. And they may not be able to take away a lot of things. I mean, you know, every time Eric gets on to a podcast and talks and once he starts talking, you know, physics or mathematics or something like that. I got to go back and listen to it at least one more time just to grasp some of the concepts that he's laying out. And we're pretty well versed in that kind of stuff because we listen to it all the time. Yeah. But, you know, it's important for the the culture war and that, that marketplace of ideas to take place on a level that everyone can digest. And I think what we do offers that at a level that normal people, the everyday working man and women that, that don't have time to invest 40 plus hours in research every week to actually be able to comprehend and we can deliver some of that 
and like you said, if I if we can connect the dots for one person, yeah, and open their mind into the truth of a situation and get them on a path that can they can actually start making more informed opinions on one person is enough. Right. That's all I want. I just want one person. And if you are one of those people that do listen to this podcast and it has been beneficial, tell your friends about it. Let us know. Let us know. I want to know, you know, that anything. That's what I I got people that tell me all the time like, "Oh, I just, you know, I just wish that I was there so I could have said something." You know, like yeah. that's 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 what the Facebook is for. That's what Twitter's for. That's what Instagram is for. Tell me that shit. I want to know. That's what social that. media was that's invented all for. Of that. Any of that. If exactly. You come to a point where you're having some type of thought about what we're saying. Tell me that. Tell me that. Put it on the internet and tell me that. And if it's too private, send me a message. You don't yep. have to. You don't have to post it. You don't have. You know, it doesn't have to be public. Send me a message. That's yeah. fine. You know if, what I'm if saying. If you want to be a part of any of our conversations whatsoever, but aren't ready to essentially put yourself on mic and talk us. about it and expose it to the world, we can have those conversations privately. I would love easily. To. Would That's, love to. We love to do that. That's why we do this. If you want links, if you anything, anything at all, just tell us. Hit us up. Yeah. Let us do that for you. Salt of the streets everywhere. Everywhere. Salt of the streets, everything. You can do messages and stuff on saltofthestreets.com. There's like an email link. So you can send us an email to salt of the streets email. Absolutely. Anything, anything at all. You can put little comments on there, like send messages on Twitter or Instagram, whatever. You know? You can do that. It's real easy, man. Would love for you to do that. If somebody can tweet out at Elon Musk about their brand new Tesla and how awesome it is, yeah, and he gets back to them, we can get back to you, baby. I talked to a sex bot this week. I'll talk to anybody. Exactly. That was the greatest. I talked to a sex bot this week. <laughs> I wasn't sure it was a sex bot or not until I put messages in it, and then I was pretty sure. Yeah. It was um, funny how it devolved. It was like, oh, I know what this it, is. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> I wasn't sure at first, and so I was like, well, I'm going to keep this open, so if it's a real person, I can still be genuine about it. You exactly. Know? See, even if you're a sex bot, you'll at least get a few back and forth at with us. At least a couple. So it's worth it. You know? Reach out. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so think, for more on that, yeah, please go to saltstreets.com. Everything is on there. Click that media tab. You'll see everything there. The blog will be probably not at the top by the time you hear this, but it'll be the second one on the uh, below it probably. Read the blog post for yourself. Get involved in the conversation. If you got a story about you know, telling yourself a lie, convincing yourself that something's right yeah. or wrong or whatever. Tell us what it is. Yeah. Tell me that. We would love to hear stuff like that. I would love that. That would be sick. And I think with that, we should jump into the old grab bag skis. Yeah. So I got something on the grab bag. So today I told you I was listening to the motherfucking Carpool Karaoke's. James oh, Gunn oh, yeah. um, is the show host that does that. And he is from the UK. He's English. And so Paul McCartney. Which late night show does he host, by the way? He took over. He has the late show, I think. Not Jimmy Fallon. Um, not Jimmy Kimmel. Who took over for Jay? I think that, that is Jimmy Kimmel. Okay. And then whoever took over for Conan, that is. Uh, I think that that is. What's his name? Guy uh, I hate. Because Colbert to hate. took over for fucking Dave. Dave wants his space. Hmm. Anyway. Either way. So James Gunn is one of these late night shows, mm -hmm. right? I think it's the Tonight Show, maybe with James. I'll, I'll look at it real quick. James Gunn. Um, we have the technology. 
Sometimes I forget sure that we do have the technology. Oh, that's also not his name. Um, oh, yeah. James Gunn is the director of Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Yeah. He's the one that got in some uh, some deep trouble lately. Yeah. What the fuck in the, is this the social name? justice warrior name? Uh, James Carrier. Corden. That's James Corden. James Corden. Um, so, sorry about that. It's the late, late show. The late, late so show. I think that he took over for Craig Robinson. Oh, that sounds, that sounds made up. Craig Ferguson. I can't keep track of all those late night shows anyways. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's Craig Ferguson that he took over. On a good night. I'm asleep for like three hours before those come on. So, well, so James Corbin's, he's pretty good, right? Mm -hmm. He, he played a game on like one of his first shows where they played hide and seek in someone else's house. Like, they knocked on people's doors and were just like, hey, do you guys want to play hide-and-seek with us? And so he had a bunch of people just hide in their house, and, like, you had to go and find people in your own house. So that was pretty funny. Wow. Um, so anyway, so he does a reoccurring thing that's called carpool karaoke, mm-hmm. right? Have you seen these before? I've yes. seen Philly D drops them on there a lot. He has famous people, and he drives around in a car, and they sing their music and mm-hmm. other people's music and, like, whatever, right? And so I watched one with Paul McCartney on it, right? And so they're both English, and so they're in Liverpool, you know, and they're driving around and they're doing all the whatevers. And God damn it, I'm glad that you're here to hear this. Um, <laughs> so he's driving around with Paul McCartney, right? And they're listening to all this old Beatles music, and, you know, he's singing and they're doing shit. And so uh, Paul McCartney starts to talk about when he wrote Let It Be. Mm-hmm. Right. Says I had a dream. Let it be. Let it be. Yeah. Says I had a dream in the '60s. Right. I woke up, and, or I had a dream, and my mother, who had passed, was telling me, "Just let it be." You know, she's like, "Just, just let it be. Like, don't worry about it. Just like move along." You know. Said at the time, I was really worried about like about our music and us as a group and like how long we were going to exist. You know, and just kind of things about my life. And he said, just "Let it be, man." So and then I woke up. You know. And I was kind of thinking about the dream and everything. And then I remembered, like, like oh, well, you know, what was that that she said? He said, oh, let it be. You know what I'm saying? And that was kind of a weird thing. You know, no one had really said that before. And um, and so they were talking about that. And so that's how, you know, that's how that the, song first, came the first line of the song is, like, that's Mother cool. Mary says to me, singing words of wisdom, let it be, right? So James Corden is like, he's like, well, that's funny because my grandpa and my dad were both musicians. And I remember vividly being a kid. Right, sitting down um, because my dad and my grandpa had called me into the room and they were like, So sit down because we're going to play you the best song that you have ever heard. Right? And he said, And they played this song. And because they sang it together, and James Corden started to cry, he got emotional. He says, I had no idea that was going to happen. You know, like I did no idea. Like, listen to the song all the time, never happens. You know? So he tells me, So I, so I, you know, this is how I got exposed to the song. And my grandpa and my dad both said, You know, this is the best song you're ever going to hear. And so he says to Paul McCartney, He's like, it's like, you know, and if my grandpa was here right now, like he would just get the biggest kick out of this, you know, if he could see this. And Paul McCartney looks over and he says, he can. He can. He oh, that's powerful. And I have tears right now, dog, because I was like, I was like, I can't tell Jordan about this. Like I have to wait until the podcast because that is so fucking sweet, you know, so genuine. That's powerful. Paul McCartney has meant so many thousands of people, you know. Oh, yeah. But it's like Jordan Peterson was talking about when he was on Joe Rogan, you know, that he wants every interaction with people to be genuine or else he doesn't want to be doing it anymore. You know, 
And it's just such a genuine moment between those two guys. I thought that was so fucking cool. That is pretty cool. I thought that was so fucking cool. I like that. Yeah. One of these days, I actually have to sit down and watch a couple episodes. They're like of that, 10, 15 I, minutes. They're like really. Oh, just short? Short, yeah. Because Ooh. it's a segment on the show. And oh, so perfect. It's, you can watch a full like 15 minute video on YouTube and he does like three minutes of it on the show itself. That's like yeah. Jimmy Kimmel's mean tweets. Exactly. I don't watch the show, exactly. but I YouTube those when exactly. they come out because they're hilarious. Yep. It's just like that. Yeah. I watched this hilarious YouTube video Carolina stumbled upon. I think it was on the Bon Appetit channel, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of a fun cooking show type channel. And they had this uh, these these segments called Back to Back Chef, I think. And we watched this episode where Gordon Ramsay is there, and then there's a regular dude. And Gordon Ramsay is – they're standing back to back to each other, and the cameras are facing each one of them. Mm-hmm. And Gordon has to – verbally explain how to prep this meal, cook it, plate <laughs> yes. it, and serve it. And at the end, they turn around and show each other. Oh, my God. That's and awesome. This isn't, you know, this isn't him being kind of his normal, you know, hardcore character like and stuff like that. You know, it's still – Gordon Ramsay is – like when you see him on the show, like screaming at people and cursing them out and all that, that's real-life Gordon Ramsay in the kitchen because that's, you know, in a – top class kitchen that's the way things are and that's the way things have to be i mean it's a very militaristic thing and that's very commonplace for people to do that he just does it really really well and it makes for really really good television and so he's kind of you know doing it light because it's not something that really matters but oh my god it was hilarious man it was like 10 15 minutes of pure entertainment gold the guy he was trying to make these crab cakes and he he fell behind and he just he ended up making making like this giant stir fry with huge chunks of peppers and big old chunks of crab that I'm pretty sure still had like shell pieces in them and stuff oh, like that. No. And then essentially just dumping it over a bed of chopped romaine lettuce with this um, kind of aioli mayonnaise type dressing thing that's supposed to be for the crab cake. But oh, he put it shit. on the salad and then he just topped the crab meat and stuff on the salad. Oh, it was hilarious. Oh, but uh, there was another episode that we started to watch. It had Natalie Portman with it. Yeah. But it was a different – it was like a vegan chef because Natalie Portman's 100% vegan. Yeah. And we got about halfway through it. I was like, well, you know, this is this is actually really boring. Yeah. Gordon Ramsay made the last episode for sure. Yeah. Um, But I did have a little uh, grab bag stuff from France. Have you heard about any of the, the protests? Tax. Yeah, the fuel tax fueled protests that have turned into two to three weeks of hardcore protests and violence and building damage and all this good stuff. Yeah, we were actually just talking about that yesterday. That's really funny. Um, yeah, they're, they tried to implement a new fuel tax in France, mm-hmm. and there was enough people that... Um, directly affected it yeah Yeah, i mean protested it for long enough that they backed away from the taxes and somebody from the cabinet got fired or quit or something oh i'm sure last week yeah it was interesting because emmanuel macron the president of france um and along with the prime minister i can't remember his name he's kind of like uh essentially the number two ish you know the way their system works is very different than ours but yeah um you know this and I think there's been a lot of reporting that I think is disingenuous about this because a lot of this has been focused on 
on that gas tax, particularly tied to the Paris Climate Accords and the, you know, essentially looking at the carbon taxes and stuff like that. And I think that's disingenuous because once you start to look into the story, you realize that a lot of the revenue from these gas taxes and stuff like that that are, you know, disproportionately affecting people of the middle and lower class in France yeah. who are all super, super pissed about this. Right. Um, including the latest group was the Ambulance Drivers Union that's went on strike, which is not a good thing considering violent protests. Right. Um, but a lot of the tax revenue from this stuff just goes into like the general fund for government spending. And it doesn't necessarily go to the part. A portion of it does go to whatever climate control but not, but not stuff they have, it. but not most of it. And I just thought that was a really interesting piece. It's been absolutely insane. The Arc de la Triomphe, Triomphe or whatever you call it, that sits in the center of the Champ de la Sea, which is like a big, you know, picturesque, giant ass roundabout in Paris, yeah. which from firsthand experience is an insane place to try to be because there are like six or eight lanes of traffic around this giant fucking roundabout that goes around the, the arch. Yeah, fuck that. It's absolutely insane. But that place has all been, I mean, it's been shut down. The There's been massive graffiti on the, the arc. I mean, storefronts have been damaged. You know, cars been flipped, burned. And apparently they even broke into the, the gift shop at the Louvre. The giant museum in Paris and all that's where the Mona Lisa yeah. and stuff is. Um, but yeah, like you said, the the administration acquiesced to the protesters and they they said that there will be no more. What is that? To try to quell its most uh, serious political crisis, the government of President Emmanuel Macron announced on Tuesday that it would be suspending the it would suspend the gas tax increase that would um, that had set off the three weeks of increasingly violent protests in Paris and around France by the so-called yellow vest movement yeah and so starting January 1st there will be no more increases to the gas tax because it's it would have continued to climb over the years that's crazy yeah and so that's something I don't know that's not a you know, in the grand scheme of um, realpolitik, that is not a good thing for governmental control of France. Yeah. Um, because essentially you're bowing to protest. And, you know, whether it's justified or not, it's not necessarily a good thing, I don't think. It shows weakness. And, I mean, he's already incredibly unpopular in France nowadays, and that is certainly not helping. Macron is, is a... He's, yeah, very high. He's highly unpopular now. Don't like the gays over there in France? Well, he, he, you know, he kind of. Is Macron gay? Is that my, am I making that up? No, he's not gay. No? No. He's, I don't think he was gay. Maybe because his marital situation is very different. Um, you've seen pictures of the man. Yeah. He's not a bad looking dude. Yeah. He is married to a woman like twice his age. Mm. And that looks kind of like Nancy Pelosi. Why did I think that Emmanuel Macron was gay? Because he, that's, I mean, you might be thinking about Justin Trudeau, but that's okay. Is Justin Trudeau gay? <laughs> no, I don't think so either. Why the fuck do I think he was gay? Is he? I mean, he's, All right. we're looking for the audience, a phone a friend here. I don't, I don't think that he's gay. I don't know if, I don't think, I don't know. There was someone voted in to one of the foreign uh, positions, like, in the last year, so that was the first openly gay. Well, we just got someone in the United States who's the first openly gay representative. No. That foreign. just happened. Yeah, this foreign. is foreign. 
I feel like I remember that too, and I don't remember who it is. Either way, we'll figure it out. But no, Emmanuel Macron is not uh, technically gay. I don't know if he is. Maybe he's in the closet, but he's married to a, a woman. Um, but yeah, he came into office kind of as an outsider in a way. Uh, he beat out uh, Marine Le Pen. You remember that? Yes. During the election from the, the far right group. And uh, but he was kind of, for France, I would say he was probably a little center right for France, which on our you know, on our political scale is pretty far left still. But, um, you know, a lot of his policies have not gone over well, as you can see. I mean, people are rioting out in the streets in Paris, so it's, it's not a good sign. Um, but, yeah, that's basically it. I just I like to stay current on some of these big worldly political events as well. Um, there was another little political grab baggy thing that I had had come up Um the you remember last week we talked about James Comey being subpoenaed by the Senate or no the House to go in and have that that closed door meeting about the handling of the email investigation Hillary Clinton and all that Loretta Lynch was supposed to go in. Well, there the transcript for that hearing came out this week and it's two hundred some pages long and I've started reading it. Of course you did. Uh, yeah, I know it's disgusting, but. And I don't know why, because like I said, the, there's no real ends to this situation. But I was perplexed at the fact that no matter how hard I searched, I couldn't find a single thing referencing Loretta Lynch's appearance in front of the, you know, her hearing. Yeah. So I don't even know if she had it. We haven't heard anything from her side. All we've heard is from the Comey side. And I think it's incredibly interesting that I haven't heard a single thing about it. I was looking again this morning to try to find some kind of article about it. Nothing. Nobody even mentions her. Here. Except for when the subpoenas first came out for yeah. them. But other than that, that was it. Cause she was supposed to be the day after Comey. So and I don't know what happened with that. As far as we know, it did happen. There just isn't any report on it. I'm only assuming it happened because she was subpoenaed to appear the day after James Comey was. That's weird. But I don't know if it did happen or not. She might be, you know, her legal team might be fighting it in court. Like uh, Comey said he was going to do, but then yeah. essentially acquiesced. They probably offered him the public transcript and he thought that was good enough. But I'm guessing there. But what else do you got in your grab bag, homie? Um, only like one other thing from a couple of weeks ago that I wrote down that when when Jim Acosta was getting all uppity in in that uh, lost his press pass. Yeah, the only <laughs> other thing that I have written down about that is that when when the White House was talking about that, they said that there needed to be decorum in the White House. <laughs> and I thought that that was like maybe one of the biggest fucking jokes I ever heard in my whole life coming from the administration. I don't disagree with it, but it is absolutely hysterical coming out of the White House's mouth. You right. know what I mean? Because I absolutely agree there should be decorum in the White House. But yeah. Yeah. For yeah including press briefings. I think if they turn in, if they devolve into what today's press briefings are, they're completely useless for the most part. Yeah. And it just turns into a train wreck. And I think there should be rules about how, you know, decorum should should be in those things. Maybe yeah. time limits and everybody literally just gets one question. Maybe, you know, everybody gets two questions so you can always ask follow-up or something. But, like, 
there needs to be some kind of rules, man, because right. that stuff gets out of hand so quick. You know, it, and it literally turns into most of the time like the press versus the president yeah. and the president versus the press. And it's Bullshit. never a fun thing to watch. It's it's a slow motion train wreck. And I don't like it. I do like it. <laughs> I do like it. I do like it. I'm yeah. sick and twisted like that. What can I say? Um, there was something else that did come out of the, the G20 last week. Yeah. Last weekend. Um, the President Trump and the President of China, uh, Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping. Um, they did have a little dinner talk about the tariff situation and the trade wars. Yes. And apparently they have come to an agreement to stop further tariffs after January 1st this year as talks continue um, to develop for these trade deals. China has agreed to purchase some more agricultural equipment and goods from us to help balance the, the trade deficit that we have with them and so on and so forth. But I think this is a perfect example. I think if you really look at, um, Trump's trade wars and the, you know, his love of the tariff and being able to utilize tariffs. And I think this is all chickens coming home to roost on the tariff wars, realizing that you can't get into a tariff trade war and everybody's okay. Tariffs affect everybody negatively on both sides. But I think mostly tariffs, they hurt the people you're trying to help in this situation. You know, you're trying to help say, like the steel industry, right? But if you just pass a further tax on to the nation that's buying your steel, they're going to pass that off to their, you know, it always, their buyers. And it always trickles down to the actual consumer, yeah. you know. And it it's we talked about it back when the trade war f- first started to kick off. But this obsession with trade deficits is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, There's... You know, we've said it before, and I think, you know, people say it all the time. Why is my boss calling me? Well, we'll talk in a minute. Um, Almost done, man. The, you know, the, the concept of having a trade deficit with a nation isn't a bad thing. No. There's no reason why just because they, let's say they buy $100 worth of stuff from you, that you have to turn around and buy $100 stuff from them. I mean, there's right. no reason to do that whatsoever. You know, you're going to buy from the best supplier from around the world in a free market. What That, due to the nature of things, can cause trade deficits from one nation to another. And that's totally fine as long as you still, at the end of the day, balance your checkbook out and are making out. Right. If you're not, that's a totally different situation. But tariffs is not a way to do that. And I'm glad to see that it sounds like there's a little progress in ending the stupid trade war. Yeah, we'll see. So we'll see. I'll fucking believe it when I see it. Yeah. I don't trust dick coming out of there when it comes to trade. Yeah, exactly. All the card deals all the time. Yeah. But that's about it for me and my, my grab bag, okay. I guess. You want to move on to sports real sports. quick? Sports. All right, sports, sports. So, Mike McCarthy <laughs> fired as a Packers head coach last week. I saw that. Yep. Getting fired out here. Got a couple of... Bye, Felicia. A couple of Super Bowl rings. Got a... Yep, that's some shit. But uh, out of there. Brandon Browner. We talked about this... Uh, Weeks ago, Brandon Browner got sentenced to eight years in prison for attempted murder. He was a corner on uh, the Seahawks the year they won the Super Bowl. And then the next year when the Pats won, he's got two rings. Going to jail for eight fucking years. (laughs) Uh, The Bills, they waived wide receiver Kelvin Benjamin. He was subsequently picked up by the Chiefs and signed to a one-year deal. 
The Redskins are signing QB Josh Johnson as a backup to Mark Sanchez, so that's who the fuck Josh Johnson is because I asked that earlier. Um, so there's that. Um, the Raiders signed CJ Anderson, which is really weird because he's ass. Um, the Broncos claimed wide receiver Andre Holmes off of waivers from the Bills. Uh, Derrick Henry, did you watch the game on Thursday? No, man. Ah, you should watch that shit. Derrick Henry is the second person ever behind Tony Dorsett in 1983 to have a 99-yard rushing touchdown. It was fucking absurd. That's beautiful. He also had four touchdowns in the day and over 200 yards. He said the Tennessee Titans matched the touchdown rushing record, but set a new record. Pause button. Yes. 99 rushing touchdown. 99 yards. Yeah, so does that mean, like, this isn't like a... Like a punt return or a, no. or a kickoff return. They so this were, is you're at the so one-yard yeah, line. Yeah, so the, the punt got, got put down at the one-yard line. So, they so started, the next play. Yep, so they started at the one. And so he was in the end zone and ran out of the end zone 99 yards. Good Lord. It was fucking crazy. That's insanity. Yeah, you should look that shit up. And That's broke, almost on the level of Dolphins. Messing he, with the pass today. Yes. And That's he, pretty powerful. He broke like four or five tackles on the way down there. Like, it's not like he wasn't touched. Like, there was defenders down there. Stiff arms, left and right. They, uh, com- they compared uh, him to, do you remember the Beast Quake run? Remember when Beast Mode went the fuck off the Beast Quake? You know what I'm talking about? I think so. Okay. Well, we'll watch the Beast Quake run uh, after this because that's something that everyone should I feel like see. the first, um, you know, the first two season Lynch was there. His whole career was nothing but beach quake runs. Yeah, no, it's this one particular run against the New Orleans Saints where he breaks like fucking nine tackles on the way down. There. Of course and he it's does. Just some of the craziest shit anybody's ever seen. That's uh, why we call him Beast Mode. Yeah. So they're so they're calling it they're calling it Beast Quake 2.0. Nice because it was fucking crazy. And then today Tom Brady he passed Peyton Manning for the most touchdowns, most passing touchdowns ever. Uh, last week, during the Washington game, Colt McCoy broke his broke his fucking leg, um, and he had to go out. And then Mark Sanchez came back, and he hadn't played ball since 2016. Colt McCoy broke his right fibula. Ow! Yeah, fibula is the big one. No, that's yeah, uh, one of the smaller ones. The smaller there, ones back yeah, there broke his fibula. It was a horrible thing. So not as bad bad as Alex Smith's rubber leg. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was so gnarly. Same team, though, which is the weird thing. Yeah. Um, And then in that same game, no, not the same game as Derrick Henry. The week before, Adrian Peterson broke off a fucking 90-yard touchdown piece, and it was crazy. He also ended the game with 98 rushing yards. Hmm. Isn't that fucking weird? He had one 90-yard run and then eight more yards after that. That's tough, I man. That was really strange. That is so tough um, to just get out there, kick ass, get ninety <laughs> yards, then just pick up slowly eight yards through the rest yeah, of the game. Yeah, I thought it was super weird. Uh, Greg Olson, he's done for the season. He ruptured his patella fascia, which is something in his foot. I'm pretty sure. In um, your patella, your knee. Yeah, but it's it's something else. Okay, because uh, he had a problem with his foot. And I, I don't know, man. I'm not a doctor. Yeah, I, I know it does. I, your patella is your knee, but I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with that. Either way, not a good thing to hurt when you're an athlete. Yeah, so Broncos corner uh, Chris Harris broken fibula. He's fucking done. AJ Ooh. Green went on IR because of his foot. Christian Kirk got placed on IR. He's a wide receiver for the. Here it is. Here's there it the, is. Here's Boom. The, here's the beast quake. Just going yeah. right through. Just going right through. So fuck you. Good lord, he said, man. He said, fuck you. <laughs> he just tosses that guy. 
Dude yeah. tossed that dude like 10 yards almost. Yeah. And there it is. Beast Quake. Oh. So that's the Beast Quake run. Yeah, it so is. So the Derek Henry one was, was very similar to that. Um, that dude's insane. There it is. It's the very first thing. Is he going to play another season next year for Oklahoma or uh, Oakland? Um, I don't know, but I guess we will see. So um, James Conner, he's a running back. He's the backup to Le'Veon Bell, who's been banging all year. This is the 99-yard touchdown piece. It was fucking crazy. This is see oh, how look at this on the one. Right? Good night and this stiff arm. You, you're just out yeah, to lunch. Goodbye. You. I'm just going to throw you down. I'm going to throw you down because my blocker can't block. And boom. Isn't that fucking crazy? And then eight more yards the rest of the day. Oh, no. No, that was Adrian Peterson. No, he went the fuck off this game. That's nuts, man. Derrick Henry had four teeters in like 250 yards. That was the weird thing. That was the weird thing. Yeah. And it was against the Jags, too. Yeah. Jags have a fucking great defense, but he just destroyed them. And bye. Yeah, it was (laughs) just gone, man. I love it. Um. So James Conner was out this week for with a leg injury. Emmanuel Sanders tore his Achilles in practice last week. The Giants' safety landed Collins on IR with a shoulder injury, and Odell was out this week. Odell Ooh. Beckham for the Giants, um, and that is all I have as far as sports news. So we can hit a line and get the fuck out of here if you want. Boomskies. Okay, I want to talk about Eater next week, which is a fucking robot that runs off of biological no yes i heard about this so we're going to talk about that next week Um, oh god i'm terrified yes (laughs) so let's see do you have anything else that you want to add on to this or you you think you're ready to get out here it eats it could eat people and use it for fuel man that's yeah (sighs) do you hear that babe a robot that consumes biological material as fuel so theoretically a robot that could eat people to as fuel no thanks Humans are abundant. So we're going to talk about that next week in the grab bag. Let's do it. Okay. You ready? Yeah, man. All right. Well, <laughs> shit. Let me, let me tell you a little lesson, buddy. Cream always rises to the top. And I'm about to show you the white hot cream of an eighth grade boy. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus.